0: Hey everybody, my name's Dave Jackson and this is Tales from the Backlog, a video games podcast where I bring in guests to talk about the games we play. My guest today is a friend of the show, a co-host of the Pixel Project Radio podcast and junior cryptozoologist, Rick Firestone. Hey, Rick.
1: Hey, Dave. It's good to be here.
0: Yeah, man. Good to have you. Today, Rick and I will be talking about Disco Elysium, which is a narrative-driven CRPG developed and published by Za'um. I'm guessing that's how you pronounce it. You know, I looked on YouTube for people saying this out loud, and it was very hard to find. So, Za'um. I'm going with that. Published in 2019, with an updated and expanded version subtitled The Final Cut, releasing in 2021. And elevator pitch for Disco Elysium is... A murder mystery where you play as the world's biggest fuck-up. Sound good to you, Rick?
1: (laughs) That is perfect. That is exactly what I'm after.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if someone pitched that to me in an elevator, I would have said, okay, sign me up. I'm tired of people who have their shit together. Give me the fuck-up.
1: Or at the very least, you'd have me saying, no, come with me to my floor. Tell me more.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But before we get into Disco Elysium, we always have a little chat about the other stuff we're playing. So, other than Disco Elysium, what have you been playing lately, Rick?
1: Uh, That's a complicated question for me. I have a really bad habit of getting really excited about the prospect of a new idea, and this bleeds into my personal life too. Mm -hmm. And I flock to that, and sometimes that leaves too much on my plate, and then stuff just falls by the wayside. But all that to say, um. Lately, uh, I just finished up Superliminal, which I, I cannot recommend that game enough. It's it's flawless, in in my opinion. Uh, just finished that up. Finishing up Yakuza Kiwami 2, uh, as okay. we've talked about a little bit before, Dave. Uh, really excellent game. Uh, yeah. Started a little bit of a visual novel called Riddle Joker. Um, oh, and Fire Emblem Three Houses, of course. Right. That's actually been the bulk of my time lately.
0: Yeah. So, let's uh let's talk about Yakuza. I'm kind of curious because I saw you've played uh you played Like a Dragon, right?
1: Yeah, I did.
0: And then you're up on up to Yakuza Kiwami too. So, I'm guessing you did you play Like a Dragon and then start the other ones or uh kind of different uh order no.
1: there? No. Uh no, so I actually started with 0. Um Right. I I am a sucker for a good prequel, but I decided to start there because story-wise it makes sense and everybody said that it was regarded as one of the best, if not the best, in the series. And then afterwards, uh, Like a Dragon started becoming popular um, in the zeitgeist. Well, it kind of already was. And I was just super interested in it, so I started it. Got a little bit spoiled for some mi- minor stuff in, I think, 3, 4, and 5, but uh-huh. overall... Oh, I I don't regret it. It's a uh, it's different enough and phenomenal game. Really good JRPG.
0: Yeah, I just bought that. We're recording this a couple days after Thanksgiving, and I just bought that in the Black Friday sale. So I'm real excited to get to it sometime.
1: It's uh if there is one thing that I could levy against it, it might be. not pacing issues, length issues in terms of cutscenes and just the entire game. It took me well over 80 hours to beat.
0: Yeah, well like, is it more cutscenes than the average Yakuza game? Because they're all super cutscene heavy.
1: It's, I mean it's certainly Kiwami 1 is my most recent, so that maybe isn't a great example. It's Mm -hmm. on par, if not longer cutscenes than Zero.
0: Okay, that's <laughs> that's a lot. Of, you you have you just have to be down for long cutscenes to play any Yakuza game. So, I if the if the JRPG gameplay is good, then I think I can handle that.
1: Oh, it's definitely it's definitely good. The class system works much better than I was anticipating. With you know a, a beat 'em up transitioning to a JRPG, um, it's it's pretty pretty intuitive and it's 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 giving it gives you enough to work with in terms of customization so it doesn't really ever feel stale I would say Mm
0: -hmm. yeah yeah that's it was not really a like concern of mine I I kind of figured like others because I I played all seven of the Kiryu Yakuza games and I was I mean, I would lie if I if I said I wouldn't play another beat 'em up style. Like that might be lying, but um, I was getting a little bit tired of it because I actually don't think the combat in those games is that good. So the change was something I was kind of welcoming anyway.
1: Yeah, I'm right there with you. I I mean, I obviously haven't played as many as you, but uh, I like the beat 'em up. I like the JRPG. It. Uh, I was hesitant about it. I was also hesitant about the English voice acting, which I gotta say, it's very good. It's cool. Very good. Uh, but yeah, I. I do. I do wish we had another Mark Hamill cameo, uh, <laughs> like in the OG. But uh, we got George Takei, so that's pretty cool.
0: Okay. Cool. Yeah. I like when I'm playing Yakuza games. I always play with Japanese, and I. I normally don't in. Persona or um like Final Fantasy I always play with English voice acting but it fits super super well cuz the Japanese voice acting is incredible in these games too. So I never really like kind of felt the need to go to English but glad it's good.
1: Right there yeah, right there with you. The Japanese voice acting is incredible. Um I don't think any of them with the exception of the PS2 versions have the option for English um but seven right. does like like a dragon does um and i was gonna do the japanese version but i i think they planned for it to be english voice acted so i don't know mm. either way it's 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 quite good
0: cool cool and you and i have been talking like throughout the weeks about fire emblem so um how are, how are you finding that game like gameplay wise
1: I, anytime somebody asks me a question like that, like, how do you find it? I say like, Oh, it's right in my switch. Like, that's where yeah. I bought it. Um, <laughs> okay. But... All right.
0: Okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> game, um, game, gameplay wise, you know, it's my first fire emblem game. So the, the combination of the tactical combat with social sim elements is so up my alley. Um, plus it's, you know, it's super, it's maybe not super anime, but it's pretty anime. It so is. So yeah. all, th- all things that I really enjoy, the the only tactical combat that I have experience with prior to this um would be Divinity Original Sin 2. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's not as fleshed out as that system, but that that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think the way that Fire Emblem does it works quite well. Um I'm I'm currently in my first playthrough. I'm gonna play through it at least one more time. Um I'm actually doing one of the well there's there's three routes and one hidden route so i'm actually doing the hidden route uh which takes place in edelgard's route and that's about all i can say without spoiling anything right
0: right right yeah i've kind of like i don't know sometimes i i think like the fire emblem combat is kind of i don't kind of been outpaced by some more recent like turn-based games because Fire Three Houses kind of shook up the Fire Emblem formula a little bit with uh, getting rid of the Weapon Triangle, which I think is terrible. So I mean, it's good they got rid of it. The Weapon Triangle sucks. Uh, but it's still like you compared it to Divinity Original Sin 2, which I, I just think is an incredible turn-based system um, in comparison to Fire Emblem. But uh, Fire Emblem is different. It's going for a different thing. Um, I enjoyed it. I've played through the whole game twice, so I obviously enjoy it a little bit. And on, uh, on New Game Plus cycles, the, the social sim part of it is like you can focus more. You don't have to worry about building up your professor level and doing that fucking god-awful fishing minigame. So it's it's more of the good stuff when you get to New Game Plus. So you said you're planning on playing it again. I think you'll enjoy it maybe more the second time.
1: Yeah, that's good. That's good. I don't dislike the grinding of the professor ranks. I I think it makes for an interesting um, sort of resource management. But um, right there with you, that fishing game is dumb. I don't understand why fishing games are so... Uh, fish, fishing mini games are so popular. Yeah. Um, so it'll be fine to not play that anymore. But yeah, yeah I think I'm going to go with Dimitri's route on my uh, new game plus.
0: Yeah, that's a good one. And... Yeah, like the cause grinding up the professor levels. The the fishing one is free; it doesn't cost you any of your like your time resource. So that's why like you're kind of encouraged to just do a ton of fishing the first time, and then the second time you don't have to worry about that. You can like you can you get this resource at the end of the game that you can spend to buy your professor level back. And if you want, you can just max it out right at the beginning. So if you enjoy grinding it up without fishing you can still do that if you want to it's it's a really good new game plus kind of setup
1: cool yeah that'll that'll be interesting to get through I still have I want to say seven chapters left I think
0: okay cool well enjoy that and I'm sure we'll keep talking about it and then when you get to Dimitri's route which is uh, one that I've done I'm sure we can talk about that because it's a good one But for now, let's transition into Disco Elysium. start with our histories with the game and kind of what brought us to Disco Elysium and kind of where did we play it? How long does it take to get through? I know lots of people are always curious about how long these games are. So guest always goes first. Uh, Rick, what, what interests you in playing Disco Elysium for the first time?
1: Yeah, so I got into PC gaming. That's primarily where I do most of my gaming now. In 2020 of January, uh, really the perfect time to get into it. And I did so by buying a gaming laptop, because up until then, all I had was like this old shitty laptop that could like maybe do Rocket League on the lowest possible settings and Skyrim, but that's about it. Um, So I was looking through Steam for something to play and Disco Elysium came up on my Discover queue. I had never heard about it before. So all I did was I googled Disco Elysium Reviews to see like how it was generally favored, and of course it was favored really well. Uh, so I went in blind and did not know what to expect for a lot of it, but uh, there were two scenes, yeah, two or three scenes that hooked me throughout to uh, provoke me to keep going, and we could talk about that maybe as we go through the story, but yeah, I essentially uh, came in blind And what a serendipitous thing, because this game is far and away my favorite game of all time.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely had that effect on a lot of people, where, like, I was kind of the same way. This was one of the first games that I played on PC, because I always, like, I have a terrible, uh, you know, budget laptop. And I had just always thought, like, oh, games that are PC only... Guess I'm not gonna play that, but um, if you remember, Disco Elysium put out this uh, this update. They called it the Working Class Update, which lowered the system requirements like way, way down. Like we're talking, I think they said like if you have a laptop made in the last ten years, you can play Disco Elysium now. And so it run, it even ran on my laptop, which is restricted to things from 2005 and before, basically. So, or like, like super indie games. So I was able to play it too. And I, I wanted to play it because it was on all of the like game of the year lists, basically. And there was people on Twitter, basically like, you have to play this game. This game changed my life, you know, stuff like that. Like people that I know are not just saying that same thing about every game they play. (laughs) So, Uh, When that working class update came out, I um, went ahead and bought it, and the textures were super muddy, and the game hitched and froze all the time, and like, this is my computer's fault, not the game's fault. And like, I remember when I booted the game up, I had to like, let my computer sit for like 10 minutes, don't touch it, just let it load the game, because if I touched it, it would freeze my entire system, and I'd have to like, hard reset it. So, even through all those things, I was able to get through it, really, really enjoyed it. Um, I replayed it on Switch when it came out, the uh, The Final Cut version came out, and for anyone listening, it runs great on Switch. Uh, it crashed a few times, and the load times are pretty long, but if you play a lot of games on Switch, you're used to that. So... Um for playtimes, it took me 25 hours the first time, and the replay was 30 to 35 hours, and we'll talk about why that's longer on the replay a little bit later on. But yeah, how about you? You have your uh, your playtime?
1: You know, I it, it's muddied in my steam because I, I started it one and a half times before I actually decided to finish it but i think i think 25 to 30 for my first playthrough sounds about right yeah. um pr- pretty comparable if not a couple hours longer for the second playthrough
0: right yeah that that sounds about right so yeah so we're going to get into kind of how the game works and the key mechanics and what makes this game stand out and there are lots and lots of things that make this game stand out in my opinion so we're going to get started with the story and the characters and we're not going to talk a whole lot about the story because this game basically is uh, mostly story the spoilers begin pretty soon after the game uh, starts so just a little setup here you play as a police officer and your police officer like i said earlier is the world's biggest fuck up they have been on a drug and alcohol bender uh, for so long and going so hard at it that when the game begins, your consciousness is kind of waking up from a primordial black void and your systems begin talking to each other. Like your character has been so far out of it that your body systems have to start communicating with each other again. So um, yeah, that's the story setup. Um Do you remember like, what how did this story setup work for you playing as a um once you figured out that this is what this is about like your character basically going through this so hard and also trying to solve a case
1: yeah yeah so i i think the how it worked for me was it it was a tough putt at first um because playing playing a cop video game in you know 20 2019 2020 2021 that's it takes the the care of very considered hands to, yeah. to make something like that work. Um, and spoiler alert, it, it works quite well. It's it does. I, I don't have qualms about that. But you know, when I when I realized that it was an amnesiac story, I was a little bit hesitant because, as you've pointed out, Dave, it's it, it's a trope that that's familiar, right? We we see yeah. amnesia used as a vehicle all the time for specifically. Um, something that i find to be heinous in games uh info dumps like what you don't remember me your brother that has been with you for this long and we had this (laughs) specific bonding event like get out of here luckily that this game doesn't do that um it handles the amnesia in i i think ways that are more well considered and mature although there Mm are uh or i should say there is a bit of um proper noun soup i think is the word uh, the phrase that you use dave um, yeah throughout throughout the whole uh regaining your memories process
0: yeah the the amnesia thing works for me too so so basically your your character has like the world's worst hangover and can't remember anything at the beginning you can't remember that you're a police officer your character can't remember his name you can't remember how your face looks you go in the bathroom and the mirror is kind of fogged up and you don't even know what your own face looks like so this is yeah this i think this does work better than a lot of the other kind of amnesia stories um it's it's an interesting like reason for the character to have amnesia to the best of my knowledge you know most other i've never played another game where you're amnesiac because of your horrible hangover um so it works pretty well for me everything you're learning is super interesting this is why people do amnesiac characters to teach you about the world and stuff like that without telling your character something that they already know when you're playing this game your character doesn't know anything so these are your dialogue options to ask about things that are as simple as money all the way up to like the politics in the, uh, in the game itself or in the game world.
1: And it makes for an interesting, uh, role-playing element too, because you are quite literally in some aspects playing a blank slate. Like, th- yes, there are hard facts about who you were and how you got to where you currently are. But a big theme of this game is the, the notion of progressing, from the weight of the past and those in- implications, so as a role playing experience, it- it's handled great. Uh, there's yeah. so many different ways you can approach playing your main character, uh, Raphael Ambrosius Cousteau. So <laughs> many ways you can you can be anything from a bleeding heart uh, ultra liberal to uh, a horrible racist fascist, and and everything in between.
0: Yeah. And the game kind of supports you building the character the way you want. It supports you, um, well, we said you've been on a long bender, and with that comes all kinds of uh, horrible decisions and um, making life miserable for the people around you. So the game supports you going on a kind of redemption track. The game supports you uh, doing drugs and drinking the whole time and being an asshole to everybody it supports the the way you want to continue this character's life or turn it around if you want to it supports all of that at the beginning your character because of this like drug and alcohol bender is in such a horrible state that um this is just one thing i do want to tell people before you start you can die at the beginning of the game in several different ways that are very funny um The one I think that's most famous is when you wake up, you have a necktie hanging from your ceiling fan, and you have to do a skill check to get the tie down. And if you fail the check, you can just straight-up die from the exertion of trying to get a tie from a ceiling fan. So this is just kind of setting the stage for how, like, precarious your character's health situation is at the beginning of the game.
1: Yeah, that was my first... uh in-game death was turning on the lights and having a heart attack <laughs> because I was so hungover
0: yeah it's it's at the same t- I mean it's frustrating if you die and you have to go back to the character creation screen so if you're gonna play like save the game as soon as you wake up that's a, a little advice for you but it is hilarious that, the, that you can die by turning on the lights or by reaching for a Uh, You know, your tie from the ceiling fan, or any of the other ways that you can die in this game. They're all usually really funny. So, as you get the story started, and this is the last thing we're going to talk about before uh, we cut story talk off for spoilers, you are joined by your partner, Lieutenant Kim Kitsuragi, and you, too, are tasked with solving the murder of a person whose body is hanging from a tree behind the hotel that you're staying in. And that's the story set up but i do want to talk about kim for a second before we get into spoiler time because people listening need to know that like no hyperbole here i think kim kitsuragi is one of the best video game like characters of all time and certainly one of the best like companion characters of all time he is just fantastic
1: yeah he's a good good boy (laughs) Um, he is written so nuanced and so well insofar as, you know, he politically would be a centrist in that universe. And that's where the claws in this game come out. Really, they, they, they lampoon the centrists more than anything, but he's, he's written in such a well-considered and nuanced way, um, that it's never, they, they, they never outright go and attack his integrity or his character it's more so he has lived a nuanced life and that has shaped his worldview and he just he wants to do his job like he's there to do his job he wants to do do right by it and do right by you um and yeah he's just a compassionate guy i i love kim
0: yeah he's so your character is a mess to put it lightly and Kim is the perfect kind of uh, compliment to that. Kim is very professional. He's very stoic. Um, he comes off as very uptight at the beginning of the game. But as you go, you, you dig deeper and deeper into Kim and you find out that there are things he gets excited about. And he is really funny uh, when the time is right for it. And it's just... It's to the point where, like... If I ever talk to somebody who played Disco Elysium, they're like, I didn't care for Kim. I'm like, uh, I I don't know. I can't talk video games with you anymore. I can't talk about much. We can talk about sports, I guess. Yeah, you know, he's, uh, he's the best.
1: Yeah, really, really good to have a foil character next to the mess that is. (laughs) um." And, and good that it's Kim he's got some of the most understated lines that make me laugh the hardest in the entire game
0: yeah that sense of humor that he has is not like the it's not the like laugh a minute that your player character's dialogue uh can be it's um it's it's much more like you know you'll go hours and hours without Kim saying anything funny he's very professional most of the time and then he'll hit you with something and you're like oh Kim. Kim, you motherfucker, you got me. <laughs>
1: yeah, I yeah, that's that's perfect. There is um I I think one of the first things that that Kim that happened with Kim that made me laugh the hardest is when he asks, you know, did you get the body down from the tree? And you can go through a very like a just a list of things like, you know, yeah. And he just goes, so that means the body's not in the tree. And you're (laughs) like, look, you know, I don't I don't like dead bodies. And then he's like, I don't either. But is this one in the tree? And eventually, (laughs) you know, you say, yes, it's in the tree. And he goes, so the body is in the tree. And then the (laughs) the little uh, explanation is it's clear that he preferred that it would not be in the tree.
0: (laughs) Uh, I love it. So I wrote down a little list of the uh, top three people that I least want to disappoint in my life, okay? So top of the list is my wife. Second on the list is my parents, combining two people into one. And then number three on the list is Kim Kitsuragi, and he bumped my brother off of the list. I played this game. You can, you, like we said, you can role play. You can be a giant asshole to everybody. You can do drugs and drink all the time if you want to, but Kim's going to be disappointed in you And I just, I can't disappoint Kim. And so like, this is a good game for role-playing if you want to. But when I play role-playing games, I have a really hard time like being a dick unless it's like a game that's kind of built for that. Like, I don't know, the old Fable games, you could be an asshole to everybody and it was very cartoonish and stuff like that. In this game, it was like, that sounds fun, but I really don't want to make Kim mad. I don't want to disappoint him. I want him to be proud of me, so I'm not going to do that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get that body down from the tree.
1: Yeah. First of all, uh, take that, Dave's brother. Yeah. Second of all, <laughs> second of all, yeah, you're exactly right. You know, some games, and this is recency bias because I've been listening to um, a podcast. Uh, Watch out for fireballs, and they mentioned Fallout Three. You know, there are games that handle morality in kind of juvenile ways like in fallout 3 you're either comic book hero good or twirling your mustache cartoon villain bad right yeah. there's no middle ground this game is much more nuanced and oftentimes it comes down to you know this isn't a good or an evil decision but is it going to make kim disappointed yeah and sometimes you have to weigh those sorts of things you know like there's a there's a a, a quest involving cryptids and Kim's not into that, but it's a good quest and it, it it yields good results. So, yeah, very nuanced.
0: Kim would definitely be disappointed in you for nuking Megaton in Fallout 3. Kim would not <laughs> like that. <laughs> so, oh, one more thing on Kim, just real quick. Uh, the voice acting in the entire game is fantastic in the Final Cut version, but the voice acting for Kim, I think, is just just perfect because Tim Kim talks more than anybody else in the game and the voice acting is just incredible
1: yeah yeah I'm I'm very relieved that they didn't try to voice um, because that would have involved entirely too much labor and/or costs uh, but two I, I just like a silent protagonist uh, for role-playing but Kim is definitely one of the standouts to me um, I don't know if you wanted to just toss in a couple of other standouts but um sure the uh titus hardy the replacement i should say in the final cut of titus hardy mm-hmm. uh v- very terrific Everett claire very terrific yeah um
0: uh i'm a big fan of the talking about the voice acting here i'm a big fan of um egghead's voice acting egghead is very very entertaining
1: skibba <laughs> D, skibba danger i am the rearranger
0: <laughs> internally coherent <laughs> and i'm not gonna say who this is but at the end of the game you meet somebody who just has incredible voice acting um and i had this as a point later in the notes but we can just mention it now the voice acting here has an emotion and a like a realness to it that you, most other games could never approach. I'm after playing this final cut version of Disco Elysium. I'm really struggling to think of any other game that has voice acting at this level, like consistently with the amount of voice acting there is.
1: Yeah, you know, I I don't disagree with you, Dave, but I I do feel like the voice actors in Disco are either really really good or really kind of they got the job done you know what i mean like there's nobody outright bad i don't think um Mm -hmm. but there are a few characters um that sort of just they don't sound flat but they they sounded like they were afraid to raise their voice in times of emotion or Mm -hmm. they were you know afraid of uh, crossing the limits that the microphone could handle in terms i i just wanted more out of some folks in in emotional moments but um overall I, d- I don't think anybody was downright bad
0: yeah now that you mention it I, there are some very intense moments in the story for you know with different emotions behind that intensity and the voice acting is never or not often matching like the intensity of the scene i guess yeah you have a point there um but the the quality of the like the voices themselves and Uh, Most of the time in the game, you're just in regular conversations. People are not uh, screaming or anything like that, and those conversations are uniformly excellent. And since we're on the subject of voice acting, I do want to mention the narrator uh, who narrates all of your skills. Uh, We'll talk about the skills later, but that's a, a big task for one person, and also narrates your interactions with objects, around the world or just thoughts that you have and this uh, I think I saw this guy took like eight months to record all of his voice lines and I mean his voice is great but the the acting in it is really really good all of your skills have like little subtle differences in there um, not super different not maybe not as different as I would have liked but i don't know if asking one person to do 25 distinct voices uh, would be too much. So uh, his name is Lenval Brown, and he voiced over 1.2 million words uh, according to the lead writer for the game, and he did a fantastic job, the narrator.
1: Yeah, simply incredible.
0: So we kind of got sidetracked on the story but we kind of we did set it up. We have our main character whose name uh we have been bleeping out because it's a spoiler. And then uh we have Kim and you're set off to solve this mystery. So without any spoilers, Rick, what are your overall thoughts on uh the story itself?
1: What a loaded question. Um <laughs> the the one of the biggest so This game shines in so many ways. And one of the things that makes it such an easy game for me to recommend to anybody is it has so much depth, but it lets you meet it where you choose to. So if you wanted to play this straight through just as a typical detective game, you can do that. You don't have to get involved with anything else. If you choose to, you can explore the themes, uh, namely things like politics... Uh, relationships, uh, specifically those that maybe didn't turn out so well, and mm-hmm. the the biggest one of the biggest themes, the weight of the past. If you choose to, you can explore any or all of those, but you don't have to, and that's what makes this game such an easy recommend to me. Um, especially because if you just do the detective story, while I would recommend going for more, the detective story is good. Like it's just a good story
0: it's the detective story itself is not quite the agatha christie sherlock holmes detective stories that you know you may see in other media or other video games themselves but it's an entertaining story and you meet lots of uh characters which i think are uh the the real like triumph of the kind of story itself the characters that you meet are interesting across the board we'll say that they're every character you meet is interesting they have their own story to dig into even if it's just one conversation you'll learn a lot about these these characters uh you're never going to meet someone who just is just like hey uh i need a fishing pole go over and grab me a fishing pole and then i'll tell you where your thing is you're never going to meet someone like that so those come together to like kind of build up this detective story which is pretty good but we'll talk about it in the spoiler section i don't think it's like it's definitely not the best detective story but overall this games story like all the parts together is one of the best uh, game stories i've ever uh, played uh, there's just so much like you said with the the politics and with the other themes that you can explore there's so much to dig into, and I'm glad that you said it's optional, because it is. Because when I play this game, I don't dig into um, the politics. I'm just That's just not something that really interests me uh, that much. I am interested in how politics play into the story of this world, and they do that really well, but kind of the political commentary that this game does uh, is not something that interests me. And that's not the game's fault, that's just my own personal interest. So this uh this story i mean this this game basically is all story Uh, there's no combat or anything else that you're doing so it has to be entertaining throughout and i think it it definitely achieves uh there's going to be hilarious moments throughout it there's going to be moments that make you tear up and everything in between So we finished talking about the story and we should kind of transition into what makes that story um, entertaining all the way through and that is talking about the writing and writing is not something that i bring up very often on this show because most games have very average workmanlike writing i'll say or even bad writing in video games but in disco elysium the writing is I think, the biggest strength of the game. Uh, Rick, what other video games would you say have good, excellent writing?
1: So we're looking at the sort of same um, note document, which, by the way, um, for those that don't know, Dave uh, puts together very, very thorough and easy-to-follow notes for show so thank you Dave Yay. but we're, we're looking at <laughs> the same one and the, the first two that came to my head um, were Planescape Torment and Witcher 3 which you have written down here and mm-hmm. I, I I think that's a, a fantastic observation that, that you made too Dave insofar as there are games that have good writing but it's really tough to say a game has excellent writing I I, I think as as somebody that that reads a a fair amount there, there is a divide between, you know, standard game writing and, and literature. And I think disco and Planescape specifically really do a great job of bridging that. If not crossing over, which are, that's kind of an interesting case because those are based on actual novels, but right. it's, yeah, the, the writing is some of the most incredibly thorough uh thorough is not the right word some of the most incredibly nuanced and with 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 so much depth that i i i cannot imagine it being described in any other way as like auspicious it's just you will have a good time reading this game yeah, Re- reading this game, you know what I yeah. mean.
0: <laughs> and that's well. I mean, that's that's what you're doing. Uh, we haven't gotten into gameplay yet, but you are reading for ninety plus percent of your playtime here. That is what this game is. It's talking to people and reading. And I totally agree. I'm not a like I'm not someone who really can tell like great prose from average prose. Um, I'm I'm not into you know i tried to think of a better way to say that and i couldn't (laughs) i'm not into uh i'm i don't get that deep when i read it's either it's usually it's either entertaining or uh you know it's like final fantasy writing or something like that which gets the job done in final fantasy but no one's going to say those games have amazing writing well disco elysium is like it is incredible Like I said earlier, the characters are all so well described, even in one conversation. Um, Even the minor characters, like I said, you're never going to talk to somebody that just says like, you know, hey, sun's out today, and then that's the end of their dialogue. There's never anything like that. And so the descriptions of the things in the world, the descriptions of the emotions that your character is feeling, all the things that your skills say... Um, the even like the kind of textbook noun soup that we talked about earlier that's really well written and most of it's in an entertaining way and I just think that yeah it's I know I have talked to some people who like who are very much into literature and they they found this prose to be not very like not their style and like I understand that but if you're comparing this to basically any other video game you've played except for maybe like we said planescape torment and what the witcher does and i would throw the fallout games in there too for at least having entertaining and like thought-provoking sometimes dialogue um this this is stand out it's it's top of the mountain in my opinion the writing
1: and listening to you explain um about the characters dave kind of made me think one of the reasons that i think this game's writing and world building is so successful is because you get the sense that this game exists whether uh within you or without you to you know go on to a beatles tangent i've been listening to a lot of beatles lately but this (laughs) this world exists whether or not you choose to interact with it like it doesn't exist for you like you might find in some video games like pokemon is a great example Like every NPC feels like they're there to talk to what have you, have you stocked up on potions at the Pokemart before you take on your very first gym? (laughs) Like there's, there's none of that. This, this is a world that exists and you get to be a pilot within it. And that's fantastic.
0: Yeah. A hundred percent. You definitely, we'll talk about this later, but you definitely get the feeling like uh, this, this is not your story to save the world. Um, like you said this world would have totally existed if your character had just you know died during that bender or never showed up in the first place all of these characters would still be the exact same people and it's just really really good and this game is really funny and when i i don't know i when i hear people describe video games as funny i like i cringe on the inside because i know what that means for a lot of video games Trying really hard, uh, kind of putting too much like internet humor into games is very, it's a huge turnoff for me. And this game is funny in a genuine way that real people are funny. Um, we talked about how Kim will just like, he'll hit you with a joke and it's super unexpected, and you're like, and you actually laugh. Like, I laughed playing this game, which by, you know, most accounts is not, not a funny game at all. Uh, the things that are happening but the dialogue can often be really really funny
1: it's funny because it has perspective right it's not just throwing out the the meme memification of of the internet because that's borderlands that's how we get borderlands
0: yeah yeah borderlands is uh, i haven't played borderlands so it doesn't come up as an example but now that you mention it that's the kind of thing where i see a borderlands clip and i'm like uh no gross. Get that away from me. And Disco Elysium is just, just so real in the way that it's funny. Um, One of the things that I think is really funny is Kim makes fun of you for running everywhere, which is what you do in video games. No one leisurely walks through the video games they play. And so Kim, (laughs) Kim will just comment like once every 10 hours about, Oh my God, are you done running now? Like I'm so tired. And it's it's little things like that. It's not, you know, fucking clap trap or whatever the dude in Borderlands <laughs> is. It's not that. It's it's little very um very like mature humor most of the time.
1: Yeah, it really knows when to um take shots at video game tropes. Um dialogue trees is another one that I know yeah. the game really comments on because that's what this game is is dialogue trees
0: right and in addition to being funny actually i think you know games can be funny but i think this is more important i think the most important thing with the writing in this game is that disco elysium has a ton of heart and there are lots various very serious situations that you're dealing with complex and emotional subjects um, like you know war and the after effects of uh, war and poverty tragedies that people go through personal tragedies and drug addiction and alcoholism and depression and all of these things uh, that most other games won't touch uh, or if they do a lot of indie games go for it because it's in, a lot of indie games are much very very personal projects that people put out there, and so they want to talk about these things. But you know your 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 AAA space very rarely goes into these things, and Disco Elysium lives in those things. And I don't think there's any game that handles these things these subjects better than Disco Elysium does.
1: Couldn't agree more.
0: And so a good thing to mention is because you are reading. Uh, most of the time Disco Elysium does not do the classic CRPG thing of putting all your text at the bottom of the screen they kind of paid attention to social media and they put it on the right side of the screen uh, because they found that that's where people like preferred to read it and that it was more comfortable and they turned it into this scrolling, almost Twitter feed of of dialogue and I really, really like this. I think it's much more comfortable than looking at the bottom of the screen, like you would in Planescape Torment or um, the old Fallout games.
1: Yeah, and the the lead creator and writer, uh, or at least I, I believe he was the lead writer, Robert Kurvitz. He specifically cited Twitter as as an influence, and he he made he made the observation that you know so many gamers will say like, oh, there's too much reading. I don't want to read, but that's what we're doing all day when we're on these social media yeah. uh, sites. You know, it's, I, I don't understand the aversion to reading in video games. I really don't. Um, But I'm also a visual novel guy. So take that for whatever it's worth.
0: Yeah. I, I think that game developers can, you know, give us some credit if your writing is good, and if this, the things we're reading about are interesting, I will play Disco Elysium for 35 hours and read the entire time. Uh, if it's interesting, that's that's the main thing. If you're if you're confident that what you're writing about is interesting and going to be fun to read, then I will do it. And I think that game developers have to give us some credit that, like. If a Final Fantasy game had this much text to read, or, you know, like you said, Pokemon earlier, if Pokemon had these huge dialogue trees about, you know, (laughs) talk to me about potions, talk to me about antidotes, talk to me about Paralyze Heal, that would suck. But Disco Elysium is interesting, and all the things you're reading about are great. So, like, you know, give us some credit. We video games are very interactive and sure we like combat and stuff like that but it doesn't all have to be like that if the if the text is good and one other thing to mention is that the voice acting we talked about earlier the voice acting is very good and uh, very well acted and you know there's a there's some emotion being told through the voice acting but uh, like we said earlier, that is one thing that is not uh, perfect in the game. Sometimes the voice acting does not convey the emotion of the text. And it should be mentioned that this game did not always have full voice acting. That was put in in the Final Cut update uh, a couple years after release. So the emotion in the game is in the text, and it's something that you're reading. So, Rick, do you think that the text conveyed that emotion? Um, as uh, as well as it could have
1: 100% yeah i i i think this game would work perfectly fine without voice acting period i that's and that's the thing right is it, it's it's so much i mean it's cheaper to put words to a page for one so there's a practical standpoint of it but but also it's you can be so much more expressive and say more with text than you can by hiring Troy Baker to come in and voice act incredibly well, to be fair, mm-hmm. um, whatever you're writing. So yeah, I, I am currently, I started a third playthrough for this episode. I'm not doing any voiceover for it.
0: Yeah. And yeah, it's a good thing to mention that like, I think the voice acting is excellent. I really enjoyed playing the game with full voice acting but it 100% does not need voice acting in the same way that your favorite book does not need voice acting for you to enjoy it and get the uh, intended emotions out of it. It's it's just excellent. So we're going to take a little break and listen to some Disco Elysium music, and when we come back, we are going to talk about the setting of the game, which is a very well-realized setting. And we're back, and it's time to talk about the setting. So this game is set in the realist fantasy world of Elysium, Disco Elysium. And this kind of gets into my only real criticism of the game, is that if you wish to understand this setting, and understand all of the things that go into making these characters the way that they are, there is a ton of proper nouns that you have to learn. And you have to remember what the names of these countries are. So Elysium is a uh, a world. It's made up of land masses known as Isolas, and they're separated by this thing called the Pale. Uh, the Pale is a mysterious kind of connective tissue of the world, and it's it's kind of a mystery in the game what the pale is until later in the game. So I'm actually going to hold off on saying what it is. Um, but it's, it's a very interesting concept. Um, and you will meet people who have had lots of exposure to the pale and you will see, uh, what, what it kind of does to them. So it's, it's this interesting world where the countries are, very much separated from each other by something more dangerous than the oceans, um, we'll say. And so the nations in the game, and I didn't write the names of the f- <laughs> the nations down because, again, it's a lot of proper nouns. If you're interested, play the game. They will explain it to you. Uh, but it's interesting how the nations are kind of divided by ideologies. Uh, well, not unlike our own real world. So, The four main ideologies in the game are fascism, communism, moralism, and ultra-liberalism. And you will meet people from all of them uh, throughout the game and kind of get a feel for what, um, I don't know, what they want in life or their beliefs. You can talk to them about all of these. Remember, your character is an amnesiac. He doesn't know anything. So you have free reign to ask everybody about everything. And you can learn as much as you want. About these, an interesting thing about the game is that you can pick an ideology for your character, uh, as part of a mechanic we'll talk about later. Rick, which uh, which one did you go for?
1: So my first playthrough, uh, which was pre-final cut, I you know went full leftist, mm-hmm. unsurprisingly. There, the second playthrough <laughs> that I did, final cut, um, I went out of my way to do the the hustler, the the ultra liberal, the got to grind grind a clock rise and grind like that kind of and (laughs) and what's what's interesting to me dave i know you mentioned that the political story and the nuances within there are not your not completely your speed right i i think this game and i keep saying this game has perspective and i think you know i take a shot every time you hear me say that folks but it's it cannot be more emphasized than the political ideology the the game's creators are estonian and they are outspoken communists which estonia does not look favorably upon as far as i know anyway um, but that's not to say that the the clause don't come out as it were with communism either and in, in fact each of these moral ideologies the four that 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 dave mentioned they do get criticized in a real way it's it's not criticizing them on paper fascism is bad it is but fashion it's not just that simple it's (laughs) it's well considered it's real because these folks have lived through uh, these experiences certainly more than than i have living in in the u.s
0: right yeah and so like in my playthrough I can't remember my first time I actually might not have done one my first time because I'm again I'm not super interested in this, uh, this kind of stuff my second time I did the communism um, track I thought that was interesting because of uh, the developers like stated you know uh, ideology and this is not a game that's kind to communists so like if you are Kind of like, oh, this is a this is a communist propaganda game. It is not, it <laughs> definitely not. And so you can, and what's interesting is like when you do the communist thing, your character gets this idea that lots of like I feel like lots of young people have at some point where they're like, communism's communism's the way to go. Like, let's do it. That sounds good. And then like you just get, like you just get ground down and. Realize that no, communism's not this like perfect system that just hasn't been achieved in perfection yet, you know. Um, it's a really interesting and nuanced look at these ideologies. I would be interested to see what the fascism thing looks like to just go full fascist and then see what the game does in response to that, but I'm not sure. So.
1: Yeah, I I tried that a little bit on um on a playthrough before the final cut. Um, it, it just wasn't for me. Like, I just didn't really want to play that kind of character. Yeah, exactly. Think, <laughs> you know, fair to say. But you're exactly right. It's you know they. I think when you complete the communism thought, um, you get a text. Well, you you get a text box when you complete any thought, but um, the communism one, the biggest communism builder. It you get texts saying things like. You feel like Krasmazov, who is that world's Karl Marx, has personally betrayed you. And things like, you know, you don't feel like the system has benefited you at all, but it you feel like you have a, uh, what is it, a university degree in truth. Yeah. From it. And it's like, they're, they are outspoken communists, the creators of the game, but they're not so uh, narrow-sighted to not take shots at online leftists, which, you know, we yeah. see a lot of these days. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah and it's it would be very tempting as a as a writer i think to like put my own ideology in the game and portray it as the right ideology and that is not what they do in this game it's a very like zoomed out look at even their own ideology and the other ones get skewered too um it, it's just very good how they handle this and so like especially with communism, you will meet other communists in the game and you will talk to them about it. And the conversations surrounding that are excellent. And I'm not going to go further for spoilers, but I just want to say those, those conversations are just a plus, especially if you've been following the communism quest line. So speaking of communism, the game takes place in the city of Revachal, on the continent of Martinez and Revachal had gone through a communist revolution in recent history. This is the game world's history. And so the game world is set up in this, like I said, realist fantasy. These are fantasy places with fantasy concepts like the pale, but there is a lot of our own world in this. And so they had this communist revolution and then a capitalist group of nations invaded and overthrew the commune. And Rick mentioned before that one of the themes of the game is kind of like the the weight of the past. And I don't think it's any more evident than it is when you talk to the NPCs in here and you see how Revishal is still feeling the scars of this revolution and this overthrow. And the city basically has no autonomy um, except for the police force and that is the police force that your character works for but uh, because it's kind of a it, it's it's called the RCM and the M stands for militia this is not like the you know the government police or something like that it's you don't have a ton of like outright authority here and so it it kind of gives this feeling like, this this country the city had their government overthrown they really have no autonomy everyone has just been beaten down by what has happened here i think uh and like this setting is it's just very well realized i really enjoyed it
1: and you know it's it's interesting too dave and you can cut i don't think this is a spoiler but you can cut it if if it is Mm -hmm. um (laughs) <laughs> you learn later in the game that the RCM, the Rev- Revishal Citizens Militia, was a sort of outgrowth from these uh, these revolutionaries that tried to lead the failed uh, communard, as it's called in the game, revolution. And that is a small reason why the RCM don't have a ton of power in Revishal. is that history is still there. So that feeds off of, like you said, the the weight of the past. And progressing forward with that so it's you know it's another one of those things it's you can ignore the politics as hard as you would like to but it is pretty ingrained within the story
0: it is and when I say you can ignore the politics like you can you can kind of ignore the history too but what you can't ignore is like the emotional effects that all of this has had on the NPCs that you talk to like Aside from one person that we'll talk about in the spoiler section, no one is having a good time in this place um, as a di- pretty much as a direct result of uh, these well this revolution and then the invasion that came after that so like like I said earlier we talked about proper noun soup and I do get lost in that sometimes when I play this game and the only reason I'm as comfortable talking about this now as I am is because I played the game twice and then read on you know wikis and watched youtube videos about uh, all of these details here my first time through I just kind of took in the flavor and the atmosphere of the world and then you know like I said those emotions that the npcs have those are unmissable So, I don't know how's the uh, how's the setting work for you as a um, you know a backdrop for the events of the game.
1: I I think it's terrific. It's you know it's this city that has undergone such a transformation, not in the way that they were hoping with that yeah. revolution. It is it's downtrodden. It is not a place of prosper. It it's it it. I think it works really well with with the themes of, you know, the protagonist, um, the themes of the politics, the themes of Elysium. I, I, I struggled to think of a better setting, uh, but I'm also not super creative. So who knows?
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it's, a, it's definitely an interesting setting and especially for there, there are a lot of fantasy games that go for this, like realist fantasy and You know, this is not just like our world with dragons, you know, uh, which, you know, that's like, that's basically like the shadow run setting and the shadow run setting is fantastic, but this world definitely has a lot more kind of realism. And I, I would bet that it's based on, you know, Estonian history and things that the, the developers grew up with, you know, being an Eastern European country, um, not not to say that Estonia is this impoverished wasteland uh like, you know, Revishal uh is turning into, but there's gotta be some some real world history that's bleeding into it.
1: Yeah, I'm not confident enough to speak on that, but I'm in, <laughs> I'm inclined to agree with you. It's it's gotta be there.
0: Yeah. And it should be noted that there are other the other countries in the game or the other land masses are based on real world uh places. However, I, am not, I was not able to draw exact comparisons um, to, to those myself. So I can't speak on those, but I do know they make connections. Uh, other people have made those connections before. Um, yeah. <laughs> so we're going to take a little short break. We're going to listen to some more music. And when we come back, we'll talk about the gameplay. We're going to talk about the gameplay in this game and the first kind of big thing to talk about is that this game despite looking like and I think being a CRPG, think um Divinity Original Sin 2 or Baldur's Gate Planescape Torment, things we've mentioned before. This game has no combat at all. There is not a combat system, anything that you would think as being combat in other games is all handled through dialogue. So before I give my thoughts on this, Rick, when you were playing Disco Elysium, did you miss combat?
1: No, not at all. Um, I'm not somebody that, that needs that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I, I'm totally fine with good writing and good world building.
0: Yeah. And I'm totally with you. I totally agree. And I'm not, saying this to like disparage people who would like some combat because that's how games work you talk to people and then you kill some stuff and then you talk to some more people It's how most games work and uh, I did not miss combat in this game and in fact the fact that I played this game for so long and did not ever wish you know I wish there was a combat system not once did that thought cross my mind that has changed the way that I look at other games and I can think of some other games where the writing is excellent and the combat is horrible. And I, if I play those games now after playing Disco Elysium, I just think like, man, it would be nice to just get rid of this combat and do a Disco Elysium thing. And Planescape Torment is top of the list. I think the combat in Planescape is horrible, but I, I love talking to people in that game and reading. And if I could just do it all in, like, dialogue boss battles, that would be fantastic.
1: Another example, I think Planescape's the best example, but another example that I think of a lot is um, Tales of Berseria, which Uh is a game that I I put it down recently. I I love everything about it, but playing the actual game with the combat sucks (laughs) so much. And, (laughs) you know, I think that if they would have put a combat mechanic in Disco, it would have just been awkward. Uh, But there are, I mean you get to shoot a gun uh you get to do a dragon kick at one point but it's just like it's dungeons and dragons right it's a dice roll and that's right that's fine those mechanics are crunchy enough to me that i'm i'm cool with it
0: exactly another game i'm i'm thinking of that has entertaining writing and bad combat are the first two fallout games and <laughs> just just my opinion it's turn-based, so it's better than Planescape Torment, but it's one of the worst turn-based systems I've ever played. I'd rather it just not be there.
1: It hasn't hasn't aged well.
0: No. <laughs> so yeah, that's the point. Like Disco Elysium is going to have a lasting impact on people who make games. And so I hope that they take some things from this game, like I love the skill system. I hope people take that. Uh, but the thing that I most hope that games take from this is even if you're making a game that traditionally has combat, you don't have to, if the rest of the game can carry the weight and people will love it. Your game will win game of the year, even without <laughs> any combat. And I really hope that's like a big part of this game's legacy, because, you know, after playing this game, like I said, i am played... I played Planescape Torment right after I played this for the first time and my whole time I was like, "Oh god. Can I just do this in dialogue? Why do I have to fight these people?"
1: You know, it's it's like music in a way. Um my background is in music um mm-hmm. for better or for better or for worse. But, <laughs> you know, if 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 I'm listening to to a string quartet by um this some new composer like Caroline Shaw, um it's always a question of does adding something—is it in service of the piece? I could add all the fast runs that I want, or I could play all of the cool licks that I want. But is it in service of the piece? Sometimes right. yes, sometimes no. Disco Elysium, another perfect example, is combat additive. Does it serve the the work? No, no, not at all. There are other things that serve it better.
0: If if this game had a you know a C plus combat system. It would have made the game worse. And I, I I applaud the developers for, I assume they at some point like thought, yeah, we'll have gun combat or something like that. I assume that was part of the process, and at some point they decided, nope, cut it out. And I applaud them for that. So, since there is no combat, most of the time you are playing, you're either walking around kind of looking for stuff, or in dialogue most of the time in dialogue and we mentioned the dialogue trees but I do want to mention that this is a dialogue tree system where like you have a lot of options but sometimes you can't use all of them and so sometimes you have to pick what would your character say and then you can't go back really Um, or you shouldn't you know, you can like leave the conversation and come back and open the dialogue again and try to get back to that point in the tree, but uh, I I did that a few times. It never felt great. I don't recommend doing that. <laughs> um, so you you're going through the dialogue, and uh, oftentimes your skills will pop in. We'll talk about them later. But you have 24 skills to uh, choose from. And your skills will pop in throughout the dialogue. They are constantly running skill checks in the background, and if they succeed, they'll pop in with their observations, uh, their musings, their advice. Uh, Your skills are different aspects of your personality or your um, uh, your your body. I guess they're all. I would say they're all aspects of your personality. And so you're talking to the people, but you're different parts of your brain are also chiming in all the time and sometimes they're reliable sometimes they are not reliable sometimes they'll be very helpful and they'll be like hey press press this person on this issue and sometimes they'll say that and it's not helpful and um, I just I really like how this kind of simulates like being scatterbrained or at least kind of shows you how different parts of your personality will influence the way you handle a conversation. And this is what you're doing basically the whole game talking, uh, interacting with your skills and sometimes doing skill checks. So Rick, how do you feel about this dialogue system with the skills popping in and the skill tree based dialogue?
1: I, I mean, I love it. I, I'm not opposed to skill trees at all. Um, I think, any criticism of dialogue trees, um, dialogue trees is what I meant to say. I think any criticism of dialogue trees um, is actually doled out within the game. So um, the skills, (laughs) I like the skills a lot. One of my, and listening to you talk about how sometimes the skills maybe aren't so helpful. One of my favorite things about this game is that's, that's a delicious little trick that they hide from you for a while before they show their full hand is that they don't they don't the skills aren't presented as being infallible but they are presented as being well considered and aware of everything et cetera, et cetera. and one of my favorite scenes in the game that i won't spoil um is when your skills have this realization we've been played we've been had we've been yeah. giving you bad we've been giving you bad information and it's <laughs> such an impactful moment that it's like who can i trust if i can't trust myself you know right
0: And sometimes like you'll, your skill will say, hey, do this, do it, dude. And you're like, okay, yeah, I trust you. You're me. Why would I not trust you? And then something bad happens and your skill will actually say to you like, oh, dude, why did you trust me? You shouldn't trust me. That's a horrible idea. It's a, it's really good. And sometimes your skills will pop in with like more fleshed out thoughts, like actually entire conversations that you have with your skills. And uh, a couple of my favorites that do this are uh, shivers, which is kind of your, oh, like your, your supernatural connection to the city and like, well, shivers, it's easy to, it's easier to imagine if you just, you, you're outside, you get a shiver and suddenly you notice everything that's happening around you just for a split second and that's what this skill is it's like shivers will chime in and it will tell you about something that's happening down the street or something like that or even across the ocean or something like that it's these quick little moments um, and these will these will give you very very interesting like dialogues uh, with that skill sometimes it's helpful for the game itself most of the time, it's just flavor text, but it's excellent flavor text. Um, another one that I really like is Perception. Uh, you know, you'll just hear something, and the game will describe to you what you hear or what you see, and it's it's really really interesting how they'll just pop in. The way that you'll be walking down the street and you'll notice something, and you'll have a you know a little inner dialogue about it, and then it's gone.
1: Another one that I liked quite a bit um, is Inland Empire.
0: Yes, yeah.
1: Um, you know, appropriately named, I think, after a David Lynch film. It's it's it sits at this cross section of your imagination and this Lynchian supernatural things are not what they seem, sort of sort of affect. And it's it's always entertaining.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're gonna talk about these skills a little bit later when we talk about how to build your character and kind of the RPG side of this game. But yeah, those three shivers, perception, inland empire are often creating dialogues just by themselves, uh, even when, when you're just walking down the street or something like that, and it's 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 very good. One other thing about the gameplay to mention is that this game runs on a clock, and things have the, people have their own schedules, and time passes uh, as you're playing the game, but it's kind of interesting because this is not, you know, this is not a real clock like Animal Crossing or something. This is um, an in-game clock that only passes when you're in dialogue. So you can run around on the street for two hours of real time and time will not pass in the game unless you talk to something or interact with something. Um, Yeah. So, the way this plays in is that npcs have schedules and some of your quests are only accessible at certain times Uh, a lot of times that means um, you'll get a quest that says like hey this person's going to be here after 10 p.m come back after 10 and uh, we talked about kim kim will go to sleep or want to go to sleep later in the game and so sometimes you'll have a late night thing you want to do and you need to let Kim go to sleep and then go out by yourself so you can do something shady behind his back, which I would never do because I don't want to disappoint my buddy. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this, uh, this this time system is uh, is pretty interesting. You can pass time by reading a book, and that's the, uh, the main way to pass time, which led to a very funny situation for me. It was uh, 3 p.m. on a, a day later in the story, so I had cleared out most of my side quests and i needed to wait until 10 uh for the only remaining thing so i had a book about cockatoos and I, I read the book about 25 times uh for 7 game hours uh until it was 10 p.m. and you know people like to talk about diegetic storytelling in games well i i very i love the idea of my kind of like uh <laughs> reverted to childhood character with Kim next to me on the street, and I'm just reading a book about cockatoos for seven hours, and Kim is just patiently waiting until I'm done with my little thing. It was really funny. Did the uh, time system ever give you any trouble, Rick? Not,
1: not really. I, I was never feeling confined by the the time limit or, um, you know, the getting the rent for the hostel by 2 a.m. Yeah, right. It was never a, big, never a big deal for me.
0: Okay, yeah, same here. Other than that thing where I like, I kind of ran out of stuff to do and I needed to pass time, so I read my Cockatoos book 25 times in a row. Other than that, it was not really an issue. Um, and it, it does kind of help you prioritize because you're, you're going to get a big list of side quests and then... If you have some that are only available at certain times, then you just, okay, I'll do those later. Let me take care of this other stuff. There's a time limit in the game. Uh, The game runs on a clock, and uh, you go day by day in the game time. And from what I can tell, the time limit is day 10 from what I read. However, I want to caution anyone or, like, Give some advice to anyone listening who hasn't played the game and is thinking about it. Do not stress about running out of time. I find it very, very, very hard to believe that you will ever run out of time. Unless you read the Cockatoos book, you know, eight hours every day, I don't think it's really possible to run out of time. Both times I played the game, I beat it on day six without rushing. You know, I did all my side quests, or at least the ones that uh, I could. So I can't really comment on what happens at the end uh of day 10. I imagine something bad happens, but I have no idea. The point is, don't rush. You'll be fine. You will make it through the game with plenty of time to spare.
1: Even if you're failing checks and and stuff like that, um you know, failing forward is a key uh, verb of this game. So you it, you would be hard-pressed to run out of days without intentionally doing so
0: yeah yeah it's it's a cool i guess it's a good idea because there are things happening in the story that are time sensitive and would be time sensitive if you were in that situation you know and so it is kind of smart of the game to have that timer going and let you know like hey man you can't fuck around and it gives you that kind of sense of like i should get i should get my stuff done But in reality, you can fuck around. You'll still get your stuff done. You will not run out of time.
1: Yeah, that made me think of everybody's favorite uh, buzz phrase, ludonarrative dissonance, which in this game, (laughs) in this in this game, there's not that much of it. It's not, you know, it's not like The Witcher 3 where the Wild Hunt is closing in on Ciri. So we're going to go play Gwent with everybody within a, a two mile radius.
0: Right yeah in this game there are things that are very very important but like you know most of the time what you're doing is in support of solving this case so you're not playing gwent for 20 hours uh, throughout the course of a witcher playthrough like i did Uh, you are mostly taking care of business and you take on some side tasks like we talked about cryptozoology earlier and you can take that on that's fine and Kim will kind of, if you're doing those things, Kim will kind of say, hey, man, this, this doesn't really uh, connect to our case. And, uh, but you can still do it, of course. And you should. You should do the Cryptozoology side quest. It's great. So let's talk about kind of uh, what makes this game an RPG. We talked about story and setting and things like that. And so there are a couple of very interesting RPG mechanics uh, in this game. So as a CRPG, you are dealing with dice rolls that kind of uh, control whether you succeed or fail in the things that you're trying to do. So uh, Rick, before we get into it, what's your experience with CRPGs or even uh, tabletop?
1: Prior to Disco Elysium, uh, donut hole, absolutely zero. I Mm -hmm. have always wanted to play Dungeons & Dragons, but um, have struggled to find other friends of mine that do, and I didn't play Divinity until after, uh, what is this game we're talking about? Disco. I didn't play that until after (laughs) Disco Elysium, so this uh, was my introduction.
0: Okay, cool. So, as someone who didn't have any experience with that, did you find any of these things difficult?
1: Not at all, not at all. And that's that's specifically for me because i'm I'm not the kind of uh, gamer American that needs like tapa tapa um constant like combat. i I am more than okay with my games being passive. um so this, and I'm not like being disparaging by calling people out that like call of duty. but it's you know, that's just not the speed that my brain runs at. And mm-hmm. so this was a really natural transition. Uh, for me, out of like, you know, Final Fantasy turn-based combat.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, for me, I had played both of the Divinity Original Sin games before I played this game, and I've played a couple sessions of D and D, and I've played some other tabletop games like Fate uh, a lot more. And so I was, I'm, you know, I'm familiar with the idea of skill checks and things like that, but for anyone who's playing this new and doesn't have any experience like Rick I, I think this is pretty simple they don't really overwhelm you with a lot of stuff like uh well I, I'll just this game is way less complicated than D&D D&D is real complicated sometimes and especially older versions of D&D if you play like uh Baldur's Gate or Planescape Torment um this is way less complicated a lot more intuitive so it's pretty easy to get And so you earn experience in this game because there's no combat, which is how you usually get experience in video games. You get experience for completing your quests. And so you get 70 XP for a main task. You get, I think it's, is it 30 XP for a side task or is it 10?
1: I think it's both depending on the
0: task. Okay, right. Depending on how big it is or something like that and then sometimes you'll get 5 to 10 XP for a thought you have or uh, passing a, a random skill check or something like that. And so that's how you get XP through dialogue, just like the rest of the game. And uh, one thing to note is that there it is always 100 XP between levels. And so there's, there's none of this, you know level up real fast at the beginning of the game, and then you need 30,000 XP to to level up at the end. It's always 100. Uh, I think that's really good. When you level up, you get a skill point, uh, which you can use to uh, put into any of your 24 skills. But we'll say, I'll say this right now, and we'll get into it a little bit later. Why? Uh, don't spend your skill points right away. Other games have kind of trained us to Get a skill point, spend it immediately because you're going to need it, you know, in combat or something like that. Don't do it, and we'll talk about that when we talk about the uh, dice checks. So, in the game, you have four main governing abilities: physique, motorics, intellect, and psyche. Psyche, psyche, psyche. Yes, and uh, within those. Abilities. you have six skills for a total of 24 skills. And this is basically can be broken down into mental, uh, two mental abilities, um, intellect and psyche, and two physical abilities, physique and motorics. And this is where you're going to spend your skill points. Uh, Rick, what kind of characters did you run uh, when you played through Disco Elysium?
1: So the first uh, character that I made, and I suspect this is where most people will fall to, um is putting a lot of points into psyche um mm-hmm. to create this emotionally unstable yet um hyper aware kind of cop um the second playthrough I actually did a balance of intellect and psyche, maybe preferring intellect a bit more, and mm-hmm. it's very it's it's striking how different the game plays out, like nothing fundamentally changes but you get a lot more. It's it's more. Um, I don't want to say by the books, but it's more as you'd expect a crime drama to go. In mm-hmm. terms of you being the investigator, you get more background on the city and the history. Which, um, again, like you've mentioned, Dave proper noun soup, but still very interesting. Um, the only one that I haven't done has been like a big lug head going around punching to solve the case.
0: Yeah. So, my first playthrough, I did all mental stats, no physical stats, and that was interesting. I didn't get the proper noun suit because I never pump up um, Encyclopedia, which is your kind of skill of both useless and uh, useful trivia or history. Um, so my first playthrough, yeah, was very uh, based in Inland Empire, I think was like my main skill my first time. Inland Empire and Uh, like rhetoric and logic, I think, stuff like that. But my second playthrough, uh, like you said, because um, I think a lot of people do play this game as mental and emotional stats first. That is kind of the tone that this game has. Uh, I played a a physical character on my Final Cut uh, replay. And so it was really based in uh, hand-eye coordination and perception and reaction speed and, uh, what, oh, what physical instrument is just the, like, you know, your skill that says you're a brick shit house basically. So that was my second playthrough. And I put a few points into, uh, my favorite mental skills as well, because there are a lot, I feel like there are a lot more checks that you need to pass that are based on those mental things. Oh, my second playthrough... I pumped up shivers. My shivers was like 11 when I finished the game. So
1: how did that change the, the game for you, Dave? Like doing a physical-based playthrough?
0: Um. So like you said, it doesn't change the plot really at all. Um. It does make some things in certain situations easier. There are situations that they give you where a more mental-based character will excel and a physical character will have a hard time. And then there are situations where, like, I don't need to do this workaround because I can just bash this door down with my shoulder. And so there were a lot of situations like that. Um, and there's a couple I'm thinking of later in the game where being very physical was super helpful. Uh, I can't say them now for spoilers, of course, but, like, I do think this game is kind of meant to be played your first time as this like emotional creature you know but it's definitely still really interesting and really entertaining playing it physical uh we there's a, a character in the beginning of the game and i'll just give this example it w- it's in the trailer so it's not a spoiler uh, there's this big character named Measurehead in the beginning of the game who is blocking your entrance to this area you need to go into And so you can use some mental skills to kind of trick him into thinking you're part of his ideology, or you can just do a jumping spin kick and kick him in the throat and basically fuck up his life uh, forever if you're a physical character. So like the physical things are a lot more direct. I would say the solutions to problems going in a physical way, but the mental things, um, I think they're more entertaining and I would recommend people play as a mental-based character the first time. Uh, emotional and rhetoric and drama, those are all very entertaining things. But it was nice to be like, I don't have to do this uh, runaround to get into this back room when I can just shoulder bash the door down. It was kind of nice. <laughs>
1: and really, if there's a takeaway from the game, I think it's that. I think it is that you should do a running jump kick for all of your problems in life.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, uh, (laughs) and (laughs) if you fail that skill check, it's very funny too. Actually, we'll talk about that now. Uh, Failing skill checks is something that this game uh, does really, really well. When you play um, an RPG, when you play tabletop, uh, when you play Divinity Original Sin, you don't want to fail your skill checks, right? That's failure. You die or... um, you're convincing them not to kill the prisoners and then you fail your skill check and they kill the prisoners or something like that right well in disco elysium and rick this is probably bad for you because this is the first one you played but in disco elysium it's pretty unique how when you fail your skill check the game moves on it's very entertaining and most of the time you can retry that skill check later this is one of the other things that i hope other crpgs take that failing skill checks is often good and entertaining and you should not save scum uh, most of the time
1: not only is it good and entertaining but it's realistic too because like you know there's no lock picking in this game as far as i'm aware but you know there's thinking of an inane one there's a skill check that you can try to lift up to do a deadlift with, with a barbell and you can fail it but you can also retry it once you put more points into that So that's akin to saying, like, you went and, you know, exercised for a week and then came back and tried again. It just makes sense.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so the way that works is it's broken up into two colors of skill checks. There's the white ones, which you can attempt as many times as you want, as long as, like Rick said, you put a skill point into whatever skill that you're checking. So the uh the deadlift i don't remember exactly but i think it's a physical instrument check if you fail it put a skill point into physical instrument and try again it's as simple as that and that's why i think you should walk around with skill points available instead of spending them right away because you're not sure exactly what you're going to need them for so later in the game like in my replay i noticed i was like oh shit i have eight skill points right now i should probably go retry some checks uh, and use these because level ups come pretty frequently as you're solving quests and the other type of skill checks are red checks which you can only try once because they're often very serious situations or like you're taking this conversation down a road that you realistically would not be able to retry again you know so two different kinds of skill checks And Rick, did you save scum? Any of the red ones?
1: There is one that I refuse. Well, that's not true. There are technically two, um, but there is one that I outright refuse to fail. Um, uh, (laughs) I I don't know if I want to, because it's not a spoiler per se, but I'll I'll say this. There is a part in the game where you can ask him to dance with you. Yeah. And it is terrific. It's so good. Um it is. but if you fail it, um you get caught up in the heat of the moment and you call him a slur and that's not good.
0: No, not great. Uh
1: I don't want to, that's the only one that I ever <laughs> that I ever saved scum before. I didn't even have to cuz I passed the check, but I I was prepared to.
0: Yeah. Um I saved scummed a few and like so I wasn't meaning to call you out like hey Rick you fucking dirty cheater how many did you save scum I, I save <laughs> scum some Um, it's, it's just a gamer habit and like even if you fail those red checks it's the game doesn't stop sometimes you'll get a game over and you'll die because you're attempting something that could lead to your death or you know your characters in a very uh, tenuous health situation so maybe you die but Like, yeah, I save scummed a few, it's not necessary, and like, if if you're very good at just like rolling with what the game gives you, then there's no need to save scum uh, anything. You can get through the whole time. You can fail your way forward through the game, and you'll still, you know, probably still finish the game. I can't imagine there's a scenario where the game locks you out of the ending because you failed too many checks.
1: No, there's one check towards the end of the game that you can just miss out on some content, but it's not um it's not detrimental to the the case. And I think the game um communicates this very well from the beginning. Um in the very beginning you wake up and talk to this woman and you have a skill uh you have a a check to flirt with her. And mm-hmm. you know, if you succeed the check, which is I think harder than it is to fail it you know she just says like oh you're a a very sad old man like i I can smell the alcohol on you but if you fail it (laughs) um you blurt out the phrase i want to have fuck with you and she just makes fun of you um yeah and uh, that's a perfect way to introduce the player to this notion that failing is not only fine but paramount to enjoying this experience
0: yeah exactly and I think I said before but even if you do fail a check and you are low on health so you die or something like that your the the death screen it gives you like a newspaper clipping that says like what happened to you it's always entertaining so like even if you die I think it's still enjoyable it's it's just a very enjoyable system and this is another thing that I hope uh, RPG developers, if you have skill checks in your game, please for the love of God make it so that it failing checks is not an automatic uh, quick load you know make it entertaining make it interesting. This is what when you're playing tabletop if you fail a skill check and you have a good uh, game master, a good game master will make that entertaining and make it you know worth your while to try that skill check and even if you fail it's going to be fun and disco Elysium really nails that. So, we had just talked about how you can die so I should mention the health system in Disco Elysium you have two kinds of health your mental health and your physical health uh, called morale and health <laughs> I think <laughs> uh, set that one up really well um, so like for example if you take a big L in a dialogue battle you might lose some morale uh, if a little kid makes fun of you uh, and it hits deep <laughs> which does happen in the game um, you'll lose some morale and if you fail a physical base check like uh, i talked about shoulder checking a door you can fail that check and you will just smash into the door and hurt yourself and not open it and so those will damage you and if you run out of either of those you die uh, that's how you can die from getting your necktie down from the um from the ceiling fan at the beginning of the game because if you built a character that is not physical based and then you suffer physical damage at the beginning you just die right at the beginning Uh, but you can restore these pretty easily you can buy drugs or you can find them around the uh, place not like you know morphine to recover your physical health it's more like you know finding Tylenol or something like that Um, so it's really like and those those uh those drugs are not expensive so it's it's really not hard to stay up on your health systems so um how did you like this kind of the way that you take damage uh through skill checks rick
1: it it gave it a sense of gravity it it made it seem like that it mattered beyond just pass or fail um, and you know it's realistic if you shoulder check a door that's going to hurt you, yeah, um, one thing that I appreciated was that it's a rolling based system, sort of like earthbound um insofar as if you have one health and you get hurt for one health, it's going to go down, but it gives you a second to click on the restorative item that you have. So yeah. minus one health to a total of one health isn't an automatic game over. Unless you don't have, you know, um, whatever it is that restores your health. I can't think of it right now.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really good. Like, they, the game is trying to tell you, like, hey, you took damage here. But I, I think these developers want you to maybe die a few times throughout the course of the game in some entertaining ways. But th- this is not a punishing game. Um, and that, I think that system kind of exemplifies that, where, like you said if you take damage that would take you down to zero, you have a couple seconds to just hit that quick heal button and you'll be fine. So, yeah, I like how this system, I I especially like the, the moral damage that you take. Like you try something in a conversation, you try like a, you know, a line of persuasion and you fuck it up terribly. Like you miss the skill check and like it's real you would take some kind of like hit to you at least your confidence or something like that so failing the physical checks and losing health was like yes of course that would happen of course of course uh i <laughs> i i tried to bash this door and i hurt my shoulder of course but the the moral ones are very funny i really enjoyed Every time it's like, ooh, minus one morale, I was like, yeah, yeah, they got me. Or, yeah, I fucked that up. It's good. There's one skill check I'm remembering where your character wants to make this like heroic leap to go grab their coat from a railing. And if you fail the check, uh, you don't like just leap off the building and miss and die. You'll get right up to the edge and then you'll stop. And you take morale damage because you're like, ah, damn it, I'm a coward. Not gonna make that jump. And the last kind of, like, big mechanic to talk about is the is the thought catalog. Or the thought cabinet, yeah. The last kind of mechanic to talk about is the thought cabinet, which is the other big innovation for the game. And so we talked about this with the political ideologies, uh, but there are so many other thoughts that you can get. Um, so... As you're going through the game, you will kind of get ideas, either from looking at stuff or talking to people or stuff like that. And you'll get this notification that you just learned a new thought. And you, can, you have a separate screen next to your skills uh, where you can assign thoughts into these empty slots. And then you have to kind of... It'll say your character is like internalizing these thoughts. But what it really is, is like you're kind of rolling this idea around your head as you're going through. And while that's happening, it has like a, a time. This this thought takes ten hours to internalize. So while that's happening, you will get a temporary buff or debuff as you figure out the idea. So for example, there's a thought called rigorous self critique, where your character is just always Uh, criticizing themselves so while you're researching that thought or while you're internalizing it you have a minus one to your authority skill and like when you do internalize it that temporary buff goes away and you get a new permanent buff as long as that uh, thought is equipped basically so um rick the thought cabinet is something that i think is super unique to Disco Elysium. How do you think it works?
1: You know, it's... It's fine. It's not... It's certainly not my favorite thing that they choose to do mechanic-wise. I, I think it, it's nice to have certain buffs and debuffs uh, because of role-playing. And uh, we should say, it's also a point where they get to flex their prose chops. Um, mm-hmm. Because each thought comes with... Um, and I, I apologize if you were... Um, if you had mentioned this already, Dave, my my cat uh, listeners is going a little little bonkers in the background. <laughs> I was trying to make sure that she's not getting hurt. But uh, so apologies if you explain this. Um, but each thought comes with a problem and a solution, wherein you it describes sort of what you're what you're talking about. So I, I think those were um, probably my favorite part of the thought cabinet. Especially mm-hmm. there are some good ones like. Um, inexplicable feminist agenda is a good one uh the homosexual underground is uh, a very good one um and then there are some that you know are a little more somber like um a long way from home or uh apricot scented chewing gum
0: yeah 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 the the prose in those thought cabinet things is is very good it's always worth reading those especially when you unlock it and you get like the longer version of it it's always worth reading. Should also say that these thoughts have their own um portraits drawn, and the art is just incredible for these. They are horrifying and interesting every last one of them. It it makes me like so during the game you'll you'll only have space to learn about, you know, fifteen of these. I, I don't remember exactly how many slots you have, but it's not you can't learn all the thoughts that you find. And it was truly a pleasure unlocking those, reading the, the long uh, kind of explanation of what your character has learned or internalized, but also seeing that portrait that they drew. And all the skills have portraits too that are just incredible. I have the, I think my Steam icon right now is the Shivers uh, portrait because they're just, they're just, any if you're listening to this and you're not going to play Disco Elysium, just go on like the wiki and look at these portraits for the thought cabinet because they're, they're really good. Um, the, in my opinion, with the thought cabinet itself, like mechanically, I don't like how unpredictable it is, which like, that's the way they made it. So like, you're not really sure what a thought is going to give you until it's internalized and so like you could spend some time internalizing a thought it come it turns out you get a horrible debuff to something that is one of your key skills and you don't want it to have a debuff and so you can forget those thoughts but it costs you a skill check or a skill point to forget them so I ended up forgetting a couple because I didn't like the debuff I ended up forgetting a couple because uh, I don't like the content of the thought itself. And I don't like kind of in a role-playing sense. I'm like, I don't want my character to have this as a part of their, you know, their personality. There's one that's like, uh, basically like becoming a critical race theorist. And I'm kind of like, I don't really want that to be a part of my character. So I forgot that. Um, I, I do like how this kind of just models how, different thoughts that you come across in life and you roll them around for a while and sometimes you really take them to heart and that becomes a part of who you are I guess these ideologies or these thoughts or these memories even some of these are, are memories and I don't know I, a, lot of these con- a lot of these thoughts deal with content that is very heavy or very uh, unsavory and I like the way that they're written. Uh, I don't think most games could handle this in an intelligent way. Uh, so I like the thought cabinet as like a character building thing, but it's more the character building in my head than the like mechanical character building.
1: Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't say it any better myself. That yeah.
0: Yeah. So like you'll go through. You'll you'll get these thoughts and i often just picked ones that had interesting titles or like if i knew the subject like i know this is the thought about communism and i want to follow the communism quest line then i'll I'll internalize this one but most of the time i just picked ones that sounded interesting um and yeah sometimes the uh the buffs they're not just like straight plus one authority sometimes they'll give you other effects too i should say like the rigorous self-critique one, um, heals you when you fail a red skill check. So that's its buff, uh, along with maybe a a stat buff as well. But so like, they're not all just like, you know, dealing with your stats. There are other effects that some of these thoughts have too, uh, which are good. And they'll give you new dialogue options too, if you have certain thoughts uh, internalized and like locked into your thought cabinet. So, so did you end up like maxing out your thought cabinet or was it something that you did sometimes and kind of ignored sometimes?
1: No, I ended up maxing it out just because, uh, like you had mentioned earlier in the episode, at at a certain point you have um, an abundance of levels. Um, And after a certain point, I was comfortable in my character build that I didn't want to um, sort of save my points for a rainy day in the in the um case of a failed check so i just decided to uh you know open up more cabinets so
0: fair enough okay let's uh let's kind of wrap up this spoiler section before giving our final thoughts we already talked about the voice acting but i do want to say again i think the voice acting is fantastic um across the board the the voices and like the people that they found to do these voices are they didn't find you know let's find all of these people that have extremely pleasant voices to listen to uh they found people that sound like more real people there are you know there are old people in here there are people with really grating voices that are super fucking annoying to listen to and they did that on purpose and so i think there was like a and there are people with lots of different accents too that's my other thing about the voice acting that i think is really great uh this is not all people with british accents uh, which is something that a lot of games fall into there is a wide array of accents here that is very very interesting they kind of describe Revishal as like the place where all of the garbage from the rest of the world is swept to and collects here so it makes sense that we have a lot of different accents and things like that so i think the voice acting was very well casted and on the other side of sound is the soundtrack. So, Rick, you're a music guy. What do you think about the soundtrack?
1: It is one of my favorites in recent memory. It's, and that's for a couple of reasons. One, I'm I'm just a big fan of atmospheric soundtracks. But two, this soundtrack was wholly recorded by a band called British Sea Power, mm-hmm. and that's not to say they recorded specifically for this they took existing songs of theirs and sort of reworked them to be for the game now the the band itself though phenomenal and i um the the theme that uh, is prevalent in the main streets of Revishal mm-hmm. um is taken from a song of theirs called red rock riviera and it is so powerful to hear the full version um I, I I just cannot gush about this soundtrack enough. It is, uh, and and in fact, Dave, my my favorite sound, um, not track, but my favorite, you know, point of music in the game is when you are traversing for the first time over the canal lock into sort of the Fisher area. Yeah, and it's so it's so desolate and it's so sparse, but it makes such good use of timbre and space and. I, I get chills thinking about it. It's it's so good. Listen go listen to British Sea Power,
0: yeah. everybody. Yeah, I have listened to some after hearing it I mean, dude, it is frankly amazing to me that they took existing music, took out the vocals, reworked some of the songs, and made it fit this game and the emotion and like the tone and the mood of this game so perfectly. Like it I mean it's incredible to me that this is not a soundtrack that was tailor-made for this game. I I don't... It's almost unbelievable to me that they found something so perfect for this. And, like, I, there, I kind of think this sometimes. Like, of course it seems perfect to me because that's what it is. And if something else replaced it tomorrow, it would feel weird. And if something else was there from day one, I would say that felt really good. But I think this is just a perfect fit you mentioned the main the red rock riviera the song that plays when you're on the main street outside of the the hotel the horns that play when you walk out the door they immediately set this emotional tone for the game and that tone remains the rest of the time because sometimes it's not as musical sometimes it's more atonal like droning in the harbor or when you're out on the other side across the uh, across the canal Um, It's a lot more like laid back and less like, you know, traditional music, I guess, more ambient soundscape, but it's all excellent. And there, there's a couple of songs that play uh, throughout the course of the game that like legit bring emotion in me when I hear them uh, during the game.
1: It's, it's all after an affect. It's not after a melody, and it's not after lyrics because they took those out. It's after an, an affect. It's, it's, it's after creating this sense of emotion. Like the Red Rock Riviera is a good one because although it's technically using sort of major harmonies and, you know, the horns are a brighter instrument, um, trumpets specifically, but it's it's got this sense of, of looking inward to you it's it's nostalgic in a way that is uh not bitter but remorseful almost it's really uh i we don't have time to gush about this for the next two hours yeah (laughs) (laughs) which which to be we could do to be clear we could do
0: it it's uh it's excellent and um people who are listening they've heard you know cuts from the soundtrack uh up until this point and continuing throughout the rest of the episode i i I love to cut in music and ah man this ost is just so good and (laughs) even the uh even the rave song uh when you're when you're dealing with egghead and his buddies i listen to that song when i work uh at school just all the time (laughs) uh fantastic so let's take uh let's take one last little break before it's spoiler time um when we come back we're going to give our final thoughts in summary for the people who have not played uh before we get into spoilers We're going to give our kind of final thoughts about Disco Elysium. So guest always goes first. Rick, what would you tell people about Disco Elysium who haven't played it? You know, try to sum up all the things we've said up until this point.
1: I think um, in terms of recommending it, I would to anybody. I think um, the only, you know, point of consideration for some people might be the sheer amount of reading. I would say it's done well enough that it's probably going to be something that will e- be easy to get over if you're averse to that sort of thing. I think this game is less of a game and more of a work. It's, it's, it's you know, it's it's important with a capital I. It, it's holding up a mirror to, not just to other video games, but but to the human condition. And I know that sounds pretentious. I I I can be pretentious as you've probably noticed in this podcast <laughs> but it's I I can't rec- it's such an easy 10 out of 10 for me.
0: Yeah. As I've said before uh on my Hollow Knight episode 10 out of 10 is not something that I throw out um easily when I talk about games um because there's really no such thing as a perfect game except for Tetris in my opinion. But <laughs> um Disco Elysium is a 10 out of 10 like easy easy recommendation like Rick said to anybody except for people who like if you if you play games to uh kind of turn your brain off which is totally cool I do that too you know I'm gonna play Rocket League later maybe and just turn my brain off and uh, have a good time. So If that's all you want out of a video game, and again, that's perfectly fine. You you enjoy video games the way you want to. But for everybody else, I think you have to play Disco Elysium. If you haven't, you have to make time for this. And this is not a Baldur's Gate 200-hour game. This game took 20 hours or 25 hours the first time I played it. It took longer my second time because I was listening to all the voice lines. I said I was going to talk about that later, and then I forgot to, but here it is. Uh it took longer because I did not skip voice acting. Uh it's that good. So yeah, definite recommendation. The RPG systems are very creative, especially how the skills jump in during your conversations and to ha- kind of show how different parts of your personality influence the way you talk to people. Um the thought cabinet is interesting. Maybe it's not a total success, but it is interesting and uh the oh the the way that they handle skill checks uh, i think is is best in class for this type of rpg and we we've talked about the writing a ton that is just top notch i'd be hard pressed to think of a video game that has better writing than disco elysium so yeah easy recommendation um i think this game is worth full price uh sometimes we talk about price on the game uh price video games are an expensive hobby so, it's been a couple years now. Disco Elysium does go at least half price on sale. So, if you want to wait for that, I understand. But I think it's definitely worth the, worth the full uh, $40 price. So,
2: true, hard, full car. Hardcore.
1: Hardcore to a mega.
0: Earlier in the episode, I should just say oh, and one last thing uh, when you get the chance to take a nap later in the game, do it.
1: Internally coherent. All core. All right. Yeah. Gotta get the people going.
0: Before we get into spoilers, let's do a little housekeeping. And uh, before I talk about my stuff, Rick is the co-host of the Pixel Project radio podcast, uh, a show that I really, really enjoy listening to. So, Rick, why don't you tell our listeners uh, what your show's about?
1: Thank you, Dave. I, I really appreciate that. I truly do. Um, so Pixel Project Radio, we are a show that uh, typically we play through a game and then we, you know, just talk about it. Um, we are certainly not the first to sort of take a book club, uh, <laughs> style approach. Um, there there have been several at this point, but um, it's it's nice. It's a creative outlet for us. Uh, I think we generally have pretty good conversations um and sometimes we also just talk about general video game stuff like difficulty in video games or um the history of consoles or things like that so it's a good time um we do tend to do pretty long episodes so um no uh no problem if you do decide to listen if you break that up because uh we are uh, long-winded in a way
0: well this episode's getting on two hours now even before the spoiler section so uh we're you know i don't think a lot of people are strangers to long podcasts at this point um i do want to say for the listeners um i listen to pixel project radio every time a new episode comes out i really enjoy the conversation it's always very very uh thoughtful and i i very much appreciate that when there are a lot of video games podcasts that are like you know uh the the bros get together and rip on each other and do that kind of stuff and I, I really enjoy the thoughtful nature of uh, Pixel Project Radio. So everyone, check that out.
1: Thank you, Dave.
0: Now it's time to talk about me. Enough about you, Rick.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Please, by all by all, by all means. I mean, could I, could I talk about a top three podcast? Yeah, I, I love a top three podcast. It's, sure. You know, it's it was introduced to me by the uh phrase you know the time honored tradition of top 3 lists and it's pretty great i uh, i one of my personal favorite episodes so far was um i mean the stand up comedian episode was good but i'm specifically thinking of um the fair food oh yeah fair foods one
0: yeah terrific we we definitely um we take pride in sometimes having thoughtful conversations but a lot of our best episodes are about food so <laughs> Yeah. So that's a top three podcast and, um, me and uh, three of my buddies from high school, we pick a topic and we pick our top threes in that topic and discuss, uh, by the time you hear this episode, you will have heard Rick on a top three podcast talking about Beatles songs. So if you have not listened to that episode, go and check it out. As for this show, thank you for listening up until this point. If you're going to tap out because of spoilers If you would like to support this show, the best thing to do is tell your friends about it and leave uh, ratings and reviews on whatever platform you're listening on that allows it, specifically Apple Podcasts. And if you're listening on good pods, leave a uh, rating and review and you can chat with me. Actually, you can chat with me on good pods if you want to. But also the social media pages for Tales from the Backlog at Tales from the Backlog on Instagram and Facebook, though I'm much more active on Instagram. And then on Twitter at, let's see if I can do this from memory, at TFTBLpod. Yes, that's it. I'm uh, most active on Instagram and Twitter, so I'm happy to chat, especially if you want to talk Disco Elysium, hit me up. So we are going to take a break. When we come back, it is full spoiler time for Disco Elysium. Okay, and we're back. It's time for spoilers for Disco Elysium. Before we get into talking about it, I want to kind of make a disclaimer here. In the interest of time, uh, we are not going to get to every detail, every conversation, or even every plot point. Actually, not even close to it. There, there's going to be a lot of things that we skip, and I want to say right at the beginning, if we skip something, it's not because it's not worth your time it's because this game is very very dense and uh, i i can't do a seven hour podcast episode (laughs) Uh, i do want to just say that like everything in disco elysium is worth your time and i really can't stress how amazing that is Uh, most games cannot claim that every conversation in disco elysium is worth your time now with that being said um Since we talked about at the beginning, we talked about the kind of first couple moments of the game, you you wake up in your hotel room, you probably die turning on the lights or trying to get the fan down, Uh, you join Kim, and then your first task is to get the body down from the tree. So Rick, do you remember how you got the body down?
1: Yeah, my first playthrough, I was successful in shooting the body down. Um, Kim is not such a good shot uh, because of his eyes, and if you shoot it down, uh, they get a little fist bump moment. It's pretty nice, yes. but uh, the the second time I actually failed that pretty bad, I had to get um Everart, Everart Claire, uh, to pull some strings, as it were, uh, to get that body down.
0: Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I, I succeeded on the shot both times, so I never really knew which... Uh which um uh, how to get it down other than that I, i'm glad you mentioned that fist bump moment i actually screenshotted this when i was playing it on my switch because it was so good like you you give kim a high five and you, then your one of your skills is like go for the down low go for the down low and so you do and then another one chimes in like kim's not going to do a down low he's not that kind of person and then he does and it's 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 just really cool
1: yeah i think that's how you get the thought cabinet aces low yes right?
0: it is yeah and so while you're doing this uh uh, we didn't really talk about i mentioned i alluded to kuno in the non-spoiler section but we didn't really talk about him um before we get to later in the story where kuno may or may not become more important um how did you feel about kuno and the change in voice actor too
1: kuno is a hellish little goblin and I love (laughs) him so I love him so much I I do miss the original voice actor he really captured the manic drug addicted 12 year old that Kuno is (laughs) yes uh, Um,
0: something we all have experience with
1: of course yeah it's as 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 American as well let's not get into that Um, yeah (laughs) but (laughs) no I I love Kuno so much he's one of my favorites
0: yeah kuno's great and i love how like throughout the course of the game uh he he starts out as this fucking goblin and as you go if you really talk to kuno a lot you can kind of break that down a little bit and then in a very realistic way once kuno realizes that you've broken it down he puts that right back up and starts screaming at you again it's very well uh well thought out i think and yeah
1: go ahead i i was just gonna say the the one of the first interactions you can have with kuno is if he's getting tired of you he just starts wailing and screaming that you're pulling out your penis and you're gonna yeah you know do unsavory things and you're you're just kind of like you know be cool and kim was like i told you this was a bad idea yeah (laughs) and he's just screaming and wailing and then he like gets up close to you and he whispers he's like I've got you right where I want you. (laughs) (laughs) He's such a little shit. He really is. But like you said, it's, it's really rewarding to kind of like get to the other side and, you know, figure out who he is for real and why he, why he acts like this.
0: Yeah. That same thing happens with Kuno S. Actually, if you, if you walk up on Kuno S from the other side of the fence, she starts yelling that you're trying to, you know, grope her or something like that. And uh, those two. So <laughs> once you get the body down, uh, you have to do the field autopsy, which is one of my favorite, uh, scenes from like the first couple days of the game. And, uh, you do this field autopsy. This is where you first get this, like, this is where you see Kim in action for the first time. And you're like, oh, this guy, this guy is a fucking professional. Like the way he goes through the field autopsy. There is a moment in the field autopsy where um, you're inspecting different parts of the dead body and then it gets down to like his crotch and one of your thoughts pops in. I think it's electrochemistry that was like, inspect the genitals. And so you look and then electrochemistry pops in again and it's like, you should touch his penis. And then if you, cl- if you click it, it gives like this paragraph description of like this dead body's penis. And I screenshotted those too. Those are, I should, I don't know if I should share those screenshots. Cause I, those are, you know, spoiler stuff within the first 45 minutes of the game, but, or, or maybe the first couple hours of the game, but still very uh, entertaining. Uh, Rick, were you able to find the bullet in the, bu- in the dead body?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I can't remember which playthrough was which, but one of them I did and one of them I didn't. Um okay. weirdly and en- weirdly enough, even though that is the de facto way that the uh the mercenary was killed doesn't really have a huge impact on how you solve the case.
0: Yeah. Interesting. So like I It it, acceler- it accelerates it a little
1: bit, you know, but Yeah. you still there's still so much more to be done.
0: Right. Yeah, because uh, you know, well, we're in the spoiler section. You don't find the killer until the very end of the game. Uh, so, let's see. Oh, one other kind of memory I have about this kind of thing in the backyard is you have a visual calculus check to count the steps, uh, the footprints, and stuff like that. And I died because I failed to count the footprints in the backyard, and that was one of the the ways I died early in the game. And it's just a hilarious way to die because you feel so bad that you can't count that you just straight up drop dead.
1: I guess that's, that's where, that's where Harry draws the line is not knowing how to count. That, yeah. that does it. That, um, that same check. If you pass, it also leads to a nice moment with Kim where you find, you know, you'll, you'll find the sole markings of each shoe. Mm-hmm. And one of them is worn down because it was belonging to a lorry driver. And, but you don't know that at first. And Kim is speculating and he says, you know, maybe it was this or maybe it was this or uh, maybe it was a drummer. And then you get this, uh, one of your thoughts says, like, press him on the drummer thing. Yeah. And then you can kind of tease him about it. And you can keep bringing that up as the game goes. Like, yeah, we're looking for a drummer. And Kim is just like, oh, my God.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's a couple of those things where, like, Kim will say something and then your guy, like a little kid, will do. will just bring it up over and over again. And Kim's like, I fuck, should I never mention that around this guy? Um, moving on, this is still on day one. You go talk to Everett Claire. I really enjoy that conversation where like you think, and Everett Claire thinks that he has you in his palm. Uh, he, he doesn't really, uh, I mean, you do have to do this quest for him, um, to progress the story. But what I do want to talk about is how the, the fact that you have a boss battle, a dialogue boss battle against a chair is very funny and i think about it every time i sit in a bad chair now every single time i remember this scene so your character you sit down and you remark like i think you said like this is the most uncomfortable chair you've ever been in it's violating your backside and you have to do i think it's an it's a pain threshold or an endurance check and if you fail and you don't have your health topped up you can die from sitting in an uncomfortable chair And that's, again, very, very funny to me. And I didn't die, but if I did, I would have thought that that was just hilarious.
1: Yeah, you got to think of the implications of that. Like, Kim and Everett just being there as you have a heart attack from a chair being (laughs) so uncomfortable.
0: Yeah, it's so good. And, like, they can see that you're struggling with it, even if you do pass that check. They can see, like, you're having a hard time. Like, sweat is, like, pouring down your face and stuff like that. And... (laughs) Ah, uh, it's so good.
1: Ever, Everart Claire too is one of my uh, maybe not favorite characters, but I like him quite a bit. He's he's this beguiling slime ball yeah. that you know he he will do. He's for the working class. He's a self described leftist, but he will go to so many unsavory lengths to you know uh, get get ahead. Um, to the point to the point where it's like you know you have to ask is he how deluded is he that he that he believes that he's you know helping the good of everybody while he's you know the definition of a fat cat on top
0: yeah they do give you interesting things to think about like that like he's a union boss and i am pro-union but he's not like a you know like you said he he's definitely not doing this for the good of you know the people he's not doing the things he's doing for the good of the people and the errands that he sends you on um to kind of get his trust and stuff like that those are um not great the things you have to do uh like intimidation tactics and stuff like that and getting people's signatures later in the game so they can basically make these people's lives a living hell while they build something in their neighborhood. Um, those are, uh, those are bad. So I, the first one, I don't know if you have a choice, uh, to get his thing. You have to leave that door open. The second one, you can, um, you can forge the signatures and not, uh, and kind of like fuck up his process or at least delay it. And so I did that cause I don't like, uh, I don't want to help him as much as I do like unions as an idea.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure if you can just choose not to help him or not. Um, I, I think I ended up just, I remember Kim said something like, you know, this is definitely shady, but this is going to help us. We should, you know, maybe just this once. So I think I I think I think got the signatures and just played ball with them a little bit.
0: Yeah, at least for the first one, you need money um, to buy your hotel room and money is kind of hard to come by without doing that so i did it for the money and it's very funny that when you do do it he pays you with a giant novelty check uh like <laughs> not this is not an this is kind of like an it's not an under the counter deal it's uh he's broadcasting to everybody like hey the police are doing stuff for me
1: and a great thing too is if you so you can cash the check but you can also take it to Gart, the hostel owner, yeah. to try and pay for your room with the check, yeah. which just <laughs> makes Gart incensed. He's he's already not happy with you, but yeah, it's it's pretty good. Poor Gart, Gart, Gart really gets the short end of the stick. He gets shafted so much in this in this game.
0: Yeah, nothing good really happens for him until maybe later when you you can bring him a new bird to put on the wall but other than that everything's everything around him is just being ruined by you basically <laughs> um one other thing kind of in this like opening section you get the idea to look in like the dumpster in the backyard of the uh, the hotel and in there you find your police clipboard um and opening up the clipboard you find a a note uh from your ex uh your ex wife or ex girlfriend I think it was ex wife ex wife um, yeah yeah and this is this is one of those like emotional intelligence things that this game has opening that note and seeing it just immediately throws you into this doom spiral, which like anyone who's been through a a breakup maybe not even a bad breakup um a breakup that brings you sadness or like brought you pain sometimes you get those little reminders and it's just it's not a slow you know step down into sadness it's like immediately you're down in the pit and that's what happens when you see this note and i think that that's just really well realized uh, by the writers here
1: yeah you can go through the entire game without doing anything regarding um your ex yeah it's i I don't know that I agree with them for setting it up that way because it is such an important part of, of who the character is, but it, it, it is interesting to think about going through this entire game without doing anything relating to her.
0: Yeah, especially later in the game uh, when you have that scene where you kind of dream of like, talking to her, which is, is such an emotional scene, and it's completely optional. You don't have to do that. And the way that you do that is not something that I think a lot of players would do. I should, I should cut into the uh, earlier in the episode. I should just say, oh, and one last thing. Uh, when you get the chance to take a nap later in the game, do it. It it's, it's, should be mandatory.
1: It's really puckish of them to hide what I consider to be the emotional climax of the entire game. Yeah. behind an optional sequence. And they do it again shortly thereafter with the encounter with the phasmid. You can miss that if you don't make the Inland Empire check. Right. And I think those two together they they sort of interweave with each other to create this um, horrific emotional downward spiral and then into hope to create this beautiful ending message. Yeah. And you could miss both of it. And like, why did they do that?
0: Yeah, it's, it's certainly a choice and like I'm glad that I did those both cuz I didn't play with a guide my first time which is unusual for me I usually play games with guides um and I I could not imagine playing it and missing those two things and then talking to somebody and they're like hey like man that conversation with the ex-wife was brutal wasn't it and I'm like what or the you know the phasmid I couldn't imagine missing those because they're so key to like the way this game ends and pays off all the emotion uh, throughout the course of the game so yeah i'm gonna uh, i'm gonna cut this in earlier in the episode oh and one last thing before we go when you have the chance to take a nap do it when kim suggests that you take a nap take the nap trust me okay and we can move on <laughs> um uh let's see so end of the first day I think uh a couple other things i this is not like a really super meaningful conversation but you go up on the balcony and have a conversation with kim on night one and i just thought that that was a very smart little tiny scene to have kind of a wrap-up of the day um you and kim are starting to get to know each other you learn that kim has one cigarette per day like at night as a ritual as he's going over uh what he learned that day and what he did that day and that just reminded me of a couple of like uh, memories that I have. Good memories with friends, you know, the end of a night uh, traveling. Usually, sit, have a beer, talk about what we did, you know, talk about some stuff. Those are good memories that I have. In this scene, really brought that back.
1: Kim is so cool. I just like when when he's like, yeah, I have one a day. I was, ugh, Kim is so cool. I'm gonna take up smoking to be like Kim.
0: But uh, Kim also, you can, I think you can ask him, like, isn't it hard to just have one a day? And Kim's like, it's extremely hard. Like, it takes all of my willpower to just have one a day.
1: That's just the kind of guy Kim is.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: Self-restrained.
0: And then after that kind of balcony conversation, you go to sleep and you have a dream, which is just... it it is a like if if you haven't realized like what what kind of game this is by now this dream is is pretty wild so you have a dream about the the hanged man uh but instead of the the you know the dead body it's you and this is where you find your character's backstory and you could have seen it already if you looked in the clipboard but now you find out like just how badly you fucked up everything in your life like You find out that you were the one who got dumped, you did not break up with her, you got dumped, you don't have any friends, and your body is, uh, you know, poisoned, basically, with all the drugs and alcohol, and it, it really just, it really hammers you with, like, just how bad your character has it. Harry, we can say his name, how bad Harry has it.
1: This is far and away one of my favorite scenes in the game. It's so visually striking, and you know it, it is a manifest of the game's title. We're seeing disco. Harry is a literal disco ball, but yeah. also learning that he is a relic of the past. He's still hanging on. And Elysium. We I remember Elysium is a circle of hell in Dante's Inferno. We're seeing that you know physically with Harry hanging there, but also learning about his past. He is he is hurting something fierce and what he has done to cope with that is destroy his body with yep. just vir- virulent a- alcohol and drug abuse. It's this, this is the, I mentioned at the very top of the episode that there were um like a couple, like two or three scenes that really hooked me. The first one was, I want to have fuck with you because that's just so funny. Yeah. <laughs> but um this scene was when I was like, I am playing this game and nothing else for the next month.
0: And yeah, the, the scenery as you're in that scene there are lights reflecting off of a disco ball um you get the i think it's the like the lizard brain voice that's doing the dialogue in this scene which is super deep and gravelly um it's it's just a very like very powerful scene you've had the idea up until now because you know you woke up with a hangover you died because you tried to get your tie down you have an idea that Harry is not in a good place, but this is where you find out how bad it is. And this is where you can start the redemption arc if that's what you're going for. So on the next day, I, I want to just talk about, uh, maybe kind of go chronologically a little bit, but talk about things as they come up. So you talk to uh, the kind of union mob mob, I guess I want to say the union, you know, the toughs, uh, they're called the Hardy boys. And, uh, you, you start this kind of, uh, quest line that really, um, you need to talk to them a lot and get information about the case from them. And then that gets you back talking to classier, the, uh, the woman who you want to make fuck with. Um, <laughs> and instead of going beat by beat through the story as you do just want to like condense it all in here so how did you like the uh the group the hardy boys and how you have to interact with them over and over again
1: i think they are incredibly well realized and realistic i i don't know about you dave but i i grew up in like a really small rural sort of town and there i mean there were there were not an actual there was not an actual union that was the de facto law because that's just not how america works but there there certainly were these like you know groups of people that belong to organizations like the firefighters or whatever and Mm -hmm. they acted they acted just like this and you know they're they're macho they're drinking 8% 8% beers in the daytime. They're going to fuck you up and they make numerous slurs against uh, gay people. It's While one of them in fact is gay themselves mm-hmm. it's, it's just so well realized. But what I like the most about it is as this time went on, Titus goes through such immense character development yeah. and growth and it's like at the very end I know we're going chronologically but you did ask to sum it up here. At the yeah. very end you can kind of have this moment where you shake his hand and you're like if you if you ever want to don a don a badge like we'd love to have you and and titus is like yeah and if you ever get tired of the of the uniform like you'd make a hell of a hardy boy and it's like what what an emotional payoff yeah it was beautiful
0: yeah because when you first talk to them like they hate your guts uh, you are there to basically just pry in their business and make their life miserable. And throughout the course of the game, you just slowly chip away at that. And you have this real like, hey, we're not so different, you and I, uh, type of moment at the end. It- it's really good. And the, kind of that, that burgeoning respect between Harry and Titus and Kim as well is uh, is very, very uh, good. And And part of that is like, based on what happens during the tribunal which we'll talk about later but it's uh it's just an excellent like they start out super non-cooperative you have to pass uh you have to pass a lot of skill checks just to get them to share anything with you and then it slowly becomes easier and easier as the case unravels Uh, one of those skill checks i want to mention is you if you fail an authority check to kind of get titus to tell you the real story you get an option to like ask for kim's gun because you haven't found yours probably by this point and so you ask for kim's gun and he he's like uh okay and he gives you his gun and you you have this dialogue check to point to put the gun in your mouth or this uh option in dialogue to put the gun in your mouth and i clicked it because i was like okay harry's gonna try some kind of power play here or some like desperate like if you don't tell me what I need, I'm going to kill myself. And that's what he did. And that failed. And he actually does shoot himself during that scene. And you get a game over that says like, you know, cop loses it, shoots himself in hostel or something like that. And I was like, holy shit, that, that was not where I was expecting it to go. But it's another thing that just shows you how fucking unhinged Harry is.
1: I had no idea that that was a thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's uh you ha- you have to go through a lot of dialogue and failed checks to get to it, but it's there. It's uh it's re- it's real messed up.
1: Jeez Louise, that's incredible.
0: Ooh, yeah. And uh the other part of that equation is Clausier, who you talk to, she's the first NPC you talk to, and then she kinda goes away for a while until you find out part of the the Hardy Boy's uh story is that um the the mercenary, the dead body the mercenary had raped Clausier. And so you need to go talk to her again, and you you slowly put together her side of things, and it turns out that she was, you know, maybe not in a relationship with, but definitely, you know, having a good time with the mercenary. And um She has a pretty interesting character too, because she starts out as this like you think she's just like this young party girl who's holed up here she kind of mentions that she's on the run but won't really get into why you have to actually piece that together yourself um and then it turns out that she is much much more than that and I like that kind of uh character swing and by the time you figure it all out she's gone
1: yeah her that whole reveal with her was I didn't dislike it it was just one of those things where I was just like okay like I'm gonna go along for the ride with this um I did really like how her character developed though. And it was super, it, it was really cool to, you know, see the, the Hardy boys um, see their story just unravel because Claudia is not cooperating with them so much so to the point where you where if you confront Titus, he, and, and you're like, look, we talked with Claudia and she said this, that contradicts what you said. He just gets immediately irate. And he's like that fucking bitch. And like, it's it's such an interesting dynamic of not just politics and random accident, but also a love relationship with the mercenary. And then also, you know, Titus had a bit of unrequited feelings with her. And then I think they all kind of did. And it's just so many things at play and it's, it's really good.
0: Yeah. I like the, the revelation that she's some kind of super spy that's on the run. That is fine and honestly a little bit too much Like i don't think it fits super well with everyone else in the story i'm not mad at it but it's fine but the interplay between her story that she and the hardy boys had cooked up and how you slowly you pick at that story and get the truth and you're constantly going back between her and titus uh like you said i really like how that develops and how you figure out how these uh these characters have relationships with one another and uh, also uh, ruby that's her name right the the one you go find under the building so yeah claus's story itself is a mystery also and finding out who she really is was kind of fun because you get the feeling and kim kind of remarks throughout the course of it like hey something's up with her we should figure this out uh the conclusion is you know like i said fine but it's uh it's it's overall good yeah
1: and it's interesting too because what you learn about the mercenaries is they're all bad people they have committed crimes mm-hmm. against humanity but they didn't do it this time yeah so it brings it brings into the it brings this moral quandary into it it's like they're innocent, technically. They're bad people, but they're innocent. And now the Hardy Boys, on the other hand, they didn't really have a, a hand in the actual crime, but they're deliberately obfuscating it for personal reasons. And now we're just adding another layer onto this. It's That's why I said, like, if, if you play this just for the detective story, it's not the greatest one, like you said, Dave, but it's a darn good one.
0: Yeah and they you do have that moment when you first talk to the hardy boys and they're like yep we killed him and you're like oh wasn't expecting that obviously you find out soon after that that they didn't actually kill him but it's this game definitely subverts a lot of detective story um, things that you might be accustomed to and it starts out right at the beginning the first time you talk with like the main suspects they're like, "Yep, that was us." We're not going to tell you which one, <laughs> because they have this weird, like Barry Zucker corn thing where they're like, "You can't charge us all with the crime," which you know you probably can. You can take them all in, but yeah. So, yeah. Um, anything else about the Hardy Boys and Clase storyline before we move on?
1: I don't. I don't think so. The the rooftop talks. Whew. Rooftop talks yeah. with Clausia are about the only other thing. I I thought her voice actor did such a great job, and it's also um one of my favorite scenes in, in the game um where you're talking with Claudia and it, it's a check. I don't remember, it might be volition. But you're talking with her and then you pass this check, and then you have this like dialogue with your inner thoughts, and they come to the conclusion that Claudia has been manipulating you. And then it just goes down the list. They're like this this thought's been compromised and then that thought will chime in and be like, "No, no, I'm I'm not at all." And then <laughs> they'll be like, "Yeah, but remember this, remember this." And then they're like, "Oh my god, she has me around her finger." And it's this like really brilliant moment where you're like, "I am not these thoughts are not infallible to me."
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So
1: so good. So good.
0: Yeah, I was meaning to mention uh, in the before spoiler section that your thoughts almost play as like RPG party members uh, talking and sometimes talking to each other. And that's a good scene, a good example of that. So more on the Hardy Boys when we talk about the Tribunal in a little bit. But uh, I want to talk about the scene where you find your car and your badge. And this uh, this scene just this scene hits like a like a truck this is a very emotional thing uh, at this point because you've been looking for your gun and you've been looking for your badge basically the two things that would give you any authority up until this point you don't have and you you have kind of a lead on your gun but you don't get it until much later but as soon as you cross the river the first thing you're going to see is a car um, <laughs> submerged in ice and your first thought or like Harry's first thought is like whoa what kind of idiot would, would do that and it, this is like a recurring thing through the game you're always that idiot that idiot is always Harry and so that scene where you talk with Kim and Kim is like very he doesn't yell at you he's very supportive in like a way that he has like this emotional intelligence that knows like this is a time to be like, "Hey, I know you fucked up, but like it's going to be okay, buddy." Like that scene was very very uh powerful.
1: And Kim knows from the beginning that it's your car. So Oh yeah. You 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 tell him like and and we should say you could do this without Kim and it's not as rewarding, but Kim will say like, "Yeah, you know, maybe we could check on that later." And then you say, "Well, let's sit on the swing set and just wait for the tide to go down." Mm-hmm. So you sit with Kim and you know, you slowly but surely have this crushing realization that that, that this was you. Um, this, I, I think, everybody who, for better or for worse, has has had alcohol troubles knows. Like you, there's a certain point where you need to play detective with yourself, and you are realizing what what it is you have done and yeah. how that can be just crushing. And Kim is there through the whole thing, and he's basically telling you it's you know we'll get through it
0: yeah he he's not telling you like hey no big deal buddy but he he he's at the same time very serious about it like hey this is a super expensive car you ruined uh but he's not scolding you and he's not uh yelling at you he's he's emotionally there the way that he should be and it's it's just really good and this is also where you find your badge uh that tells you harry's uh, full name Harrier Dubois, which is, Harrier is a great name. Really enjoyed that. Uh, did you stick with Harry both games, or did you go with uh the other name which I'm forgetting at the right now?
1: Raphael Ambrosius Cousteau.
0: Right, that's the one.
1: <laughs> no, I just went with Harry both times because I'm I'm boring, I guess.
0: Uh, I was on the redemption path both times, and part of the redemption path to me is. Um, you know, your real name, not taking on a new persona. So that was good. Um, another kind of emotional moment here. Actually, it's all emotional moments from here on out. Um, on the kind of fishing village side, you find a dead body on the dock and you do a little quick uh, deduction, you know, Sherlock Holmes style you f- you figure that this person uh, was drunk they were eating a kebab and they kind of slipped through a hole in the dock and million dollar babied themselves on a on a bench and, and killed themselves and so you have to do a little side case which uh, Kim is like yeah, this is probably the right thing to do. We can't just like leave a dead body without any without telling anybody and you... You do a little detective work, you call your your station you you actually call the library because you find a library card I think, and that's how you get his his information and you find out uh, where this person lived and you go to their house and uh, before you open the door, Kim gives you a pep talk and it's it's really good. Kim is like, "Hey, are you ready? Are you ready for this?" And you can say to Kim like hey I don't know how to I don't know how to handle this I don't know what to do." and it's another just fantastic scene from kim
1: yeah it it was it was a tough scene to get through a tough quest to get through
0: and when you go into the house and you talk to the woman in there you may recognize her cuz earlier she was standing outside the bookstore and i didn't do this but i heard about this there's a dialogue option when you talk to her outside the bookstore uh earlier like days earlier Uh, And you can ask, like, hey, where's your husband? Or something like that. And she kind of passes that dialogue off. And then you find out it's her husband who's been dead on this dock. He was dead the whole time. So if you remember that from earlier, it just adds a little bit more to, like, an already pretty sad uh, scene when you have to break this uh, husband's death to this woman. And she says something like, okay, well I have to tell my daughter and you're like, Oh fuck. They have a daughter. God damn it. It's a great scene.
1: It's, it's one of those scenes where even if you do it the correct way, it's not a good outcome. And you know, Kim, I I think it's, it's telling too, that Kim doesn't want to take the lead on it because he knows how hard this could be.
0: Yeah, And this, and it, sorry. Oh, it's all right. I was just going to say, this is a, this is something that like, if you watch a lot of cop shows, you know, law and order and stuff like that, there's a lot of scenes where they go to the house and they say, I'm sorry, ma'am, your husband's dead. And this hits harder in this game than it ever does in those shows. And I just think it's part of the, the emotional kind of attachment you have to the game. The way that like, you know, you know, Harry is not prepared to do this, like, mentally he he is not prepared and kim is just such a solid partner uh, getting you ready for this and being next to you and supporting you it's it's so good
1: yeah yeah and I, you you end up leaving and just hear her sobbing as, as you're as you're gone it's 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 really tough yeah. it's a really tough scene
0: especially because um like she is living in, like, a tenement, Uh, they were already not... They already did not have a comfortable life. And now it's gotten much, much worse. Uh, It will be much, much worse for that woman and her kid. And you leave with that knowledge. Kim, Kim like, says, Hey, you did a great job. Like, I know this sucks, but you did great. And just getting compliments from Kim is... Well, it's fantastic. So... (laughs) So, yeah. Um, total tone shift here, uh, but moving on, let's talk about karaoke. So, did you do the karaoke side quest?
1: Yes. Yeah, I uh, I did the karaoke. I sang it twice. Um, once I failed it, once I succeeded.
0: Okay, cool. So, I failed it both times, and... Again, we talked about this earlier, but failing in Disco Elysium is good. And the, which one do you prefer, Fa- the failing one or the success?
1: Failing by a, a wide margin. Yeah. When when you succeed, it's just narrated by the narrator, the the ancient reptilian brain. Right. And that's not to say that that's bad, um, but because uh, it's quite good. But when you fail it, it's just this caterwauling of Harry on stage trying to communicate his his feelings of of despondence and despair in the only way he is capable which is not coming off positively at all right and it's and it's unskippable by the way 3 minutes of unskippable wailing yeah um and nobody is pleased afterwards but you ask Kim like what did you think and Kim says I liked it,
0: yeah, he says like it was
1: it was real,
0: yeah, he says like like, hey, you you bared your soul up there. I enjoyed it uh the the failure song is sung by the limbic system uh, voice actor, which is really high and uh, uh like almost falsetto. It's a horrible singing performance, but it reminded me of all the times I've ever seen somebody who was clearly going through some shit get up at karaoke and just sing their fucking heart out. And it's, you know, it's it's horrible most of the time. It not great to listen to, but I mean I've I've definitely sung some karaoke songs that had a little extra emotion behind them. And I remember one time in college I was at a buddy's house and some other guy had gone through a breakup really, really recently, and he sang uh totally of the heart and he gave just 1000% of his soul in that performance and this reminded me of that it was it's a very good scene
1: there's something to be said about that you know as professional musicians we're, we're trained to communicate ideas and emotions and affects even when we're not going through it and it's successful a lot of the time but it's it's a different thing to hear somebody that doesn't have those skills or maybe not honed to the same degree go up and do a performance on sheer emotion it's mm-hmm. it taps in, it taps into this that this in not ingenuity it, um intimacy and and rawness that it is hard to replicate and you know just thinking about harry who not only no has nobody aside from kim that really understands him but doesn't really understand himself in that moment mm-hmm trying to deal with these emotions in real time in the only way that he is able to, without actively destroying his body, it, it really, you know, it, it hits home. Yeah. Um, and maybe for, maybe, maybe that's, um, you know, for better or for worse kind of deal, but whew,
0: yeah, yeah, man it's, a, it's an excellent scene and you get a, you just get a side quest that says like sing karaoke and you might be inclined to just treat that as, like, sing karaoke, you know, like, whatever. I'll, if I have time, if I find the tape, and if I find, you know, stuff like if I can convince Gart to let me go do it, sure. But if not, fine. But I, I really, I this is one of my favorite memories from the game, other than, like, the big, big... No, actually, this is a big emotional payoff here. And, uh, yeah, it, it's just, it's fantastic.
2: I would often go there To the tiny church
0: there The smallest touch in Samson. Now it once was larger. How the real may rest there. Speaking of emotional payoffs, next up on the list is talking about the tribunal, (laughs) which is a very heavy uh, thing. And this is the the, like the prime example of how this game can convey tension and uh like danger all through dialogue and the way that things are set up like you get to the tribunal um the mercenaries found out that one of their mercenary buddies is dead and that the union toughs are the ones who did it again false information but that's what they know so they're coming to basically paint the town red and uh, you have this uh thing. You jump in the middle of the tribunal and uh, Rick, can you talk them all down or does it always escalate to violence?
1: There is not a situation to get through the tribunal with none of your people dying. Right. I didn't think um, so. I think there is a minimum of three that definitely will die, but yeah. depending on how you handle the checks and what you say and when you say it too, like that has an impact. Um As many as I think seven or pl- seven plus can die
0: right and i think in both of my games at least five people died uh, both times because i it, it's an extremely tense situation and we talked earlier about how some of these checks like realistically you should not be able to retry them and this is one of those situations like of course if you fuck up say the wrong thing to someone who's drunk and has a gun uh they're going to react poorly, and you don't get a retry on things like that, of course. So, the scene's extremely tense, and some of the Union members, the Hardy Boys, can die. Uh, but most importantly, Kim can die here. So, did you uh, experience that?
1: So, he doesn't die. He doesn't die. You should die. say that. I thought he died. He goes to the he goes to the hospital.
0: Oh, I thought he died. Um, okay.
1: No, Um but to answer sorry to answer your question Dave um, what happens is you experience the only unmissable check in the game or I should say only mandatory failure in the game of a check you get shot right? and Kim comes to tend to you and there's an authority check it's authority think, yeah Um, where you can say Kim look out behind you and you can either save him or you know you fail it and you just kind of gurgle and You know, Kim gets shot. Um, My first playthrough, much to my dismay, uh, Kim got shot. Um, So I did the ending with Kuno, which we could talk about. Right. um, This most recent playthrough, um, Kim, uh, my authority was good and Kim really trusted me. So uh, I did warn him.
0: Yeah. And... Isn't that just so great when you're doing that check and you see... Because when you're do, when you're seeing the checks, you, you see a list of all the bonuses you have and you get a bonus like, you know, plus one, Kim trusts you. And then there's another bonus that's like, plus one or plus two, Kim really trusts you. And I was like, oh, yeah. So I don't think I was in any real danger of missing that check uh, both times. My first time I had pretty high authority and this time i knew that was coming so i made sure i was wearing any clothes that gave me extra authority and stuff like that but yeah i passed it both times so let's talk about kuno now um i don't know do you think it's better to talk about kuno's ending now or like we can talk about it bit by bit uh, of how it's different with kuno
1: I think either one would be just fine um, before we move away from the tribunal though I did want to ask okay. Um. either either time did you get the spirit bomb?
0: No, No, I actually have no idea what you're talking about so no
1: <laughs> Oh this is perfect so one thing that we haven't mentioned yet is the horrific necktie the right. horrific necktie is um, oh. this really gaudy tie yeah. that t- speaks to you throughout the game and at one point or another um, if you pick up uh, he'll he'll talk the necktie will talk about picking up alcohol and you can pick up surgeon level like cleansing alcohol mm-hmm. and if you do that the necktie will say put me in like put me in and I'll let you know when the time is right you can do it and Kim is like what are you doing and you'll say oh my tie was talking to me and Kim is like okay bud <laughs> but um, so you get there and when you show up to the tribunal the necktie will like <clears throat> excuse me the necktie will cry out he's like now This is it. This is it. And you light it on fire and toss it like a makeshift Molotov cocktail. And as it's this weirdly beautiful moment where it's soaring through the air and time slows and the necktie and you have this conversation and, you know, they reminisce about how you first met and how you look like a schlub and this was going to, you know, put some color into your wardrobe. And, you know, if you didn't do any drinking, the necktie will be like, you know, I tried to have fun with you, but you seemed against it at all. Mm-hmm. at all uh, opportunities. So maybe I am a failure, but um, it, it lets you take out a significant amount of uh, the fight. Like you can really burn them alive.
0: Interesting. It's
1: something else. It's something.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I didn't do that either time. I was able to get a few gunshots. Like I had great hand-eye coordination and physical skills my second playthrough. So I was able to shoot a couple of the mercenaries. But actually that didn't help much because uh all, like most of the hardy boys died during that so yeah that's interesting with the spirit bomb um so moving on we have a couple of well just real quick you find um you find ruby who's like the hidden hardy boy and maybe i maybe she happens before the tribunal probably but uh, she's using this concentrated, uh, like radio frequency thing, to like break you down, and I thought that was a cool scene where like you and Kim are in a ton of pain, and there's a uh, a check to, like pain threshold maybe to get through that and break the machine, um, and depending on how that goes and depending on other things you say, Ruby will either kill herself or she'll run away. So how did that play out for you?
1: I, I've had both happen. This most recent playthrough, she kills herself. Um, she killed herself, I should say. And it's really shocking. Um, You have the choice to like, really have it affect you as Harry, or you can just be like, we've got to just move on. Mm-hmm. Um, I did the latter. I was like, we just got to keep going. And Kim kind of comments on it, I think, if I'm remembering correctly. Mm-hmm. like, Like, it's weird that you're not emotional over this but whatever um yeah i don't i don't know that it has an impact on anything else outside of that
0: yeah it was just an interesting thing uh because my first playthrough she killed herself and it was very shocking uh just a testament to how this game can give you these emotional moments um really shocking she killed herself and Uh, My second time, I was able to get through and break the device and then talk her out of killing herself, but talking her out of it means you have to let her go, and uh, she's kind of a suspect in the case at that point, and Kim is kind of like, okay, well, you let her go. I sure hope we can find who did it, you know?
1: And it's really sad if you let her go because you can, or um, if she kills herself, I should say, and you can read her diary and she, so she does so because she's scared of you. Yeah. Um, she refers to you as, as the can opener. You're able to just open people up and she mistakenly thinks that you're part of the mob. Right. Like that that (laughs) world's mafia and that you're an agent of, of them. And you come to find out later that you would have been approached if you weren't just a completely, um, malfunctioning alcoholic. Right. Um, yeah it's it's really sad and i like to think that if she gets away she realizes that that's not the case but who's to say
0: yeah and it does put that little doubt in your head because anything is really possible it puts that doubt in your head about whether you're you know this like mob enforcer dirty cop and yeah like you said you only find out at the end that you weren't because you're such a train wreck not even the mob would take you so yeah yeah um, let's get into the kind of three uh, climaxes of the game. I'm not sure if that's a word, but the three kind of uh, big payoffs at the end. So um, you find out that the killer through some visual calculus or either just a note from Clausier that she'll leave you. This is the game making sure that you find it, even if you fail the visual calculus check. Uh, you find out that the gunshot that killed the mercenary came from this island uh, that was inaccessible. So you can take a boat out to the island and you find this bunker that the killer has probably been hiding in, but uh, you're in rough shape. And this is where Kim suggests that you take a nap. And again, your first instinct is probably to say like, nah, man, we're real close to finding the killer. Got no time to take a nap right now, but you should. Because if you take that nap you um you get this scene where you go and you talk to uh, your ex who looks like Dolores Day, which is this uh kind of uh, i don't know religious figure like a godlike figure or a a jesus like figure. I'm not totally sure do you know, Rick? <laughs>
1: Yeah, the TLDR of Dolores Day is that she was a real person, but she was deified um mm-hmm. and basically became a, a quasi-deity. Yeah. Um the game the game is never clear on it. Some say that she is a war criminal, others say that she is salvation. Mm-hmm. It's just one of those things. But it's interesting to note that your ex's name, you come to find out, is um Dolores. Uh huh. I think. Am I am I misremembering that?
0: I am not sure. So I'm can neither agree nor disagree.
1: Or it's Doris. It's it's either Dolores or something similar. So this dream that you're having, you're confronting your ex in the form of Dolores Day, and th- this is going to be something that I I have to actively try not to choke up about. But he, it's not your actual ex that you're seeing. It's how she has materialized herself in your head. Mm-hmm based on how you feel about the situation. And I think we've all, you know, been through that. Once we go through something as horrible as as that kind of a breakup, we start to misremember how things occurred and our memories take a shape of their own based on our emotions. And that's what you're experiencing because there are parts where she's convivial with you and and sweet and then she says things like, you know, like our son, I aborted him because you're a fat poor broke fuck and it's like that's not actually her that's that's harry's um self-conscious putting how he feels about himself onto her mm-hmm. if that makes sense yeah i don't know if i explained that very well
0: yeah 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 uh her name is dora i looked that up so yeah very very close dora um so yeah you you have this conversation with her and like like so many people who would have the chance to talk to their ex who had this like horribly traumatic breakup um harry's first instinct is to like hey like can we get back together like let's do this like i can change i have changed i'm a different person we can do this and i think it's brilliant in here there's a skill check to go in for a kiss and that's one of the uh one of the times when your skills are like this is a horrible idea do not go in for a kiss because it is a horrible idea of course
1: and in fact your skills are completely against you here um all throughout the game if you do something related to her like try to call her on the payphone or take out the uh wrapper chewing gum wrapper from your um what do you call it The clipboard
0: yeah
1: um inland empire will be like this is a bad idea you don't want to go down this road. And up until uh, at at that point, you didn't know what it was talking about all throughout this, this section, like Dolores will say something like, you know, I can't do this anymore. I, if you keep this up, you're going to die. And inland empire will chime in and say, we all warned you. This is everything I ever warned you about. Yep, exactly. (laughs) And (laughs) And
0: it's, it's so it's, uh, it dude, it's, it's just so real in here. The way that like, I have been in not to this extent but I've been in this situation trying to like rekindle a relationship that is not going to be rekindled and even in the moment you're like fuck what am I doing like really and this kind of it shows this really well and I mean again I just love that there's that option that delusional option to go in for a kiss like that's gonna solve everything and if you do it you kiss her and she just kind of stands there she of course she doesn't reciprocate cuz this this well first of all this isn't real this isn't happening right now this is a a dream sequence or a flashback of things that happen but of course there's no repairing this relationship that you fucked up so badly so long ago and when i talked earlier like about the emotional intelligence that this game has like i've i've never seen any piece of media Handle a traumatic breakup the way this game does,
1: and even even if you succeed in the kiss um the the pros will say, you know you're stealing you're you're stealing a taste, none of this belongs to you, mm-hmm. or she's she's frigid, she's tense, hiding from you, um and you do it, you kiss her, and you have this thought with suggestion because that's the check, I think, and you know you say like but i succeeded i passed the check yeah and suggest suggestion <clears throat> says you should have never listened to me you should never listen to me again uh-huh. um brother you should put me in front of a firing squad yep <laughs> <laughs> and like it is it is so well realized and I, I remember, see, I, I feel things too intensely with, with stuff like this. And I, I get choked up even thinking about it. I remember playing this for the first time and I got through it and I, I, I stopped. Like I, I couldn't play any more of the game for the rest of that day. Like I, I, it's very, it's rare for me to get overloaded Mm -hmm. with things like this, but this, this did it. Yeah,
0: it's rare for me. And it, it, Go ahead.
1: I know. I was just gonna say it. It gives way to one of my favorite quotes in the game, and I was gonna see if you wanted to read it. Oh, yeah, <laughs> because I can't. I, I can't.
0: So this is, I mean, and this is like one of the quotes of the game right here. So she, I, actually, this is this is my fault for not writing what leads into this quote, um, but she says, "This is real darkness." It's not death or war or child molestation. Real darkness has love for a face. The first death is in the heart, Harry. And I'm getting chills reading that. And then, so you see that line. The first death is in the heart. You're like, fuck. God damn it. And then she says, see you tomorrow. And it's just, it is brutal how real this is uh, for traumatic breakups and like this this breakup in the game threw harry into a destructive spiral which is something that happens to some people but not everybody but all of us have had these feelings regardless of how we we dealt with it and man it's just it is brutal there's no other word to describe and it
1: it plays into you know the the principal theme of the game to me is is the weight of the past mm-hmm. and between this and the political backdrop this is the the writer is saying like the weight of the past you can progress from it but it never goes away yep. it will always be there mm-hmm. there is there's just no erasing this and you know see you tomorrow how are you going to deal with this
0: those do those three words just have so much extra like weight to them it's incredible because that you if you're in a if you're in a position where you're going to have that dream this dream where you're talking to your ex and she's telling you how much you fucked everything up and she left because of you and it's all your fault and it is probably mostly Harry's fault even though this dream is kind of uh, his distorted memory of how things happened Uh, if you're in that state this is not just a one-off thought that you're going to have this is something that's dominating your life Uh, so yeah those three words see you tomorrow brutal
1: the figurines do nothing <laughs> they won't bring her back
0: yeah yeah ah oh, jesus yeah there's that option to you get a gift to give to her and you give it to her and she's like what am i supposed to do with this you thought like you thought this was going to fix things like just a, a real childlike kind of idea that just immediately gets smashed as soon as you present it yeah fantastic
2: Whew. Yeah.
0: So let's talk about the uh, the last couple scenes, uh, talking about how you find who the killer is. So you, you wake up from that dream with uh, the ex, you go outside and you talk to the killer. And I want to know how you feel about this, because this you have not met this person, and this person has never been mentioned up until now, which is deliberately breaking a rule of murder mysteries where you have known the killer the whole time, and it's always a surprise to be like, oh, the, that guy in Knives Out, he was the killer? Okay. Knives Out spoilers. But, <laughs> um, yeah, how do you feel about this? How do you feel about this as a conclusion to the detective story?
1: I like it, and I, I am somebody that I, I appreciate an ending that is real. So, like, in The Sopranos, spoiler alert for a show that was over over 20 years ago <laughs> the The final scene cuts to black and David Chase who recently did reveal what happened but for a long time his stance was it doesn't matter what happens life is going to keep going on mm-hmm. and that's what I appreciate I appreciate realness like yes they could have written it in such a way that like it was Titus the whole time and like here's how he did it and it would have been like it would have been like front page uh, tabloid style excitement yeah <laughs> but Kim was at, the killer at, but at what cost that's not that that's not a logical conclusion to to the track that these guys set up this was some people felt it was um, a letdown sure okay fine it wasn't super exciting but it tracked so evenly with with, with the messaging that, that they were doing that sometimes this shit happens and you know as soon as you see the corpse for the first time you can talk to it yeah. Like with your Inland Empire. Mm-hmm. And you ask him, what who killed you? And he says And he says, yeah, go for it. Oh, go for he it. He
0: says communism. Communism killed me. And you can say that to Kim and Kim's like, "Ah, oh, Jesus Christ." Okay. Moving well, on. Well,
1: he he says he says love did me in, but communism pulled the trigger. Yeah. And you come to find out that's exactly what happened. Yeah. This hold up, this hold up this failed revolutionary who is in a self imposed um what do you call it self imposed living as a hermit, um yeah. living outside of society, grew this weird, unrequited, uh, creepy relationship with Claudia and shot the guy just because
0: Yeah, because because they were having sex and he was just like, you know what? Fuck this guy. Shoot him.
1: And his his whole thing was why should that mercenary that that rapist that um perpetuator of capitalism have have someone and I don't yeah so it it does kind of tie into the politics he's he's a straight up like I don't want to call him a tanky but he is he he is unapologetic for for all of communism um so this is another way that the 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 writers I think quite deftly. tackle that subject Um, so that political discourse is weaving all throughout all of this
0: yeah so that was my reason for why maybe this is not a satisfying conclusion as a detective story as like you know an Agatha Christie or a Knives Out or something like that it's not satisfying in that same way or surprising in that same way but this killer is like the personification of The scars of the revolution that you've been hearing and seeing the effects on people the whole game but it turns out that like this this person is just like representing all of those things and that's actually what killed this uh this mercenary so thematically i think it's fantastic that this is the the killer that you've been hunting for the whole time it's not really a person who committed an evil act it's all of these other forces just acted on this one person for like you said over 40 years he's been hiding since the end of the revolution and he's bitter that he deserted so he's he's not like this like japanese guy in the jungle because he didn't know the war was over he deserted he knows everything that's happening he's been interacting with society a little bit he says people just don't pay attention to me because i look like a homeless person and he he walks on the street. He steals stuff. Um, so he's not like this. Yeah, he's not the Japanese guy in the jungle after World War II. He sees everything that's happening in the world, and he is just extremely bitter. And all of those things played into this one quick, like, you know what? Fuck this guy. Shoot him. One moment. So I I dig it.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's. Uh... When when you find him too, it's it's very clear that he's he knows that his time time is up. Um, is that a com- comment on you know the the notions of traditional communism? I don't know. That's not an argument that I'm prepared to take one stance or another against. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is interesting that uh, directly after we meet this person, we sort of meet another character. Yeah.
0: So uh, you you get the feeling that like during the conversation with the deserter with the killer, um, who by the way, when I said earlier, a character at the end who has a fantastic voice acting, this is like this is a plus voice acting right here uh, totally matches the kind of the tone and the emotion in the conversation
1: Wait the the deserter
0: yeah
1: oh okay, okay I, I thought you meant the. the, fast the the next, one. yeah, I thought you meant the Fazman. Phasmid <laughs> the phasmid's also
0: like... interesting voice acting, but the deserter is, uh, is, I mean, there's there's so much, uh, there's emotion, there's pain, uh, there's declining health, all in the voice acting itself. It's fantastic. So you find out that during the conversation, you kind of get this feeling, and you can, I think, there's some skill checks you can do that basically you can kind of assess his health, and you're like, this guy's in horrible shape and you kind of get the feeling that something has been keeping him alive. And this is the payoff from the cryptozoology side quest, which is the longest side quest in the game, not involved with the political ideology. So uh, the payoff is you should be wearing these pheromones that the cryptozoologists offered you, uh, because why not? Uh, Kim kind of laughs at you when you decide to get those sprayed on you. And you suddenly see uh, this cryptid that you've heard about, the Insulindian Phasmid, uh, come out of the reeds, and it's just looking at you, and you, you have an Inland Empire check to talk to it. I think it is. You can go interact with it, but to actually talk to it, you have to do an Inland Empire check. And this is another one where... I can't imagine just failing that check and not getting this conversation or not doing the cryptozoology side quest and not even seeing it out there. That would be a well I guess you wouldn't know because you wouldn't know that it's a possibility, but this conversation is very good.
1: Yeah, um so if you do this with Kuno, if Kim gets <laughs> hit and sent to the hospital, um you don't get to take a picture of it, um but interestingly enough Kuno is so into this thing. Oh hell yeah! When when you go back after this whole ordeal and talk wrap up with your station, like Kuno is a changed person. He was like, "This is the biggest deal ever." Like if it weren't for Harry, like this would have never happened. Like this is a miracle of science. It's really (laughs) sweet. Um,
0: Like like Kuno found Jesus because of this uh, this conversation or something like that
1: sort of like when you wake up after the tribunal with kuno he's like not on drugs anymore so he's a kind of a different person but yeah it's it's pretty sweet but this this scene with kim you have in your notes that this is the emotional climax for you of the game and for me i i really like what the phasmid's saying Mm -hmm. um i think it's a worthwhile message what hit me the hardest was when it first comes out you say like, "Holy shit! Like, what is that thing?" And the deserter is like, "What are you talking about? Like, I don't see that." Mm-hmm. And you have this moment where you start to spiral, and you're like, "You know, I, I've been spiraling all my life. Like, I've been killing myself in my with my with my addictions, and you know, n- nobody under- is understanding me. And now I'm going literally insane. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> I'm going literally insane." And Kim will like put his hand on your shoulder, and he's like,
0: "I see it." And you're like, oh, thank God.
1: And it's like, I'm going to start crying again because it's like the most, it's such a beautiful scene.
0: Yeah. It, and it's, it sounds silly if you, if we were to describe it. I mean, it's a giant stick insect that you're looking at and, but it brings on this, this beautiful climax here. And so you, you should, I think you should save scum this and make sure you pass this check. Um, and so you talk to the phasmid and i i I don't know i kind of got the feeling i would be talking to this like superior being that knew everything but it's not it's just a giant insect and it's curious about humans the same way that you're curious about it and so like it's actually talking to you the way that insects would view humans like humans are an invading force and all of the animals agree that humans are going to be the reason that the world is destroyed one day, which real world uh, parallels, you know, um, and that humans are the reason that the pale is uh, is here. And, well, at least they say uh, nobody remembers the pale before humans came. And as for the causation of that, I'm not sure, but you learn uh, you learn more about the pale throughout the church side quest that we should have talked about maybe we still can but uh anyway the the point of the the phasmid i think is like this is this thing that's totally on the outside from all of the human affairs that you have been struggling with through the whole game it's totally on the outside and it, it's basically saying like you are a wonderful creature to me because like you know you can continue and you can um you can do all of these wonderful things and me and the insects like he says like oh, the things that bring me joy like when I find some sugar or some you know some nectar or something like that that's what makes me happy but you you are a complex creature and you are incredible and it's this this very strange like emotional uplift after you've had this horrible conversation with the deserter about all of the tragedy in his life and after you've had that just absolutely brutal conversation with your ex, this is an uplifting conversation uh, to kind of close the game out.
1: It's something, you know, the phasmid does say that, like, that the humans basically brought the pale because the birds, the trees, they don't remember it before you and that, you know, given enough time, you would wipe us all out simply by accident. Mm -hmm. Um, So it, it does paint this kind of bleak picture of humanity, which I think they handled with tact. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about like the guys from South park handling this, it, would, they be like, well, both sides are bad and everybody's evil. And it's like, that's a very childish way of looking at it. I think what makes this beautiful is um, the, the studio went with that message that yes, humanity is creating the pale, which, can be seen as a multitude of different things. But I think climate change is the the, global warming is the most accepted one. Mm -hmm. And that yes, humans are going to wipe this out given enough, given an infinite timeline simply by accident, but things continue to move forward. Yeah. That's why it's so powerful within the context of that last dream, because like, see you tomorrow. It's going to keep coming, but things will still move forward.
0: And the phasmid gives you some encouragement and says, like, hey, carry on with your life. Keep doing your best. Leave the woman in the past. And <laughs> Harry can actually just say, like, what woman? Uh, there's a lot of good options during this scene. But it's basically, it's this, It's I don't know, it's just this very emotional, like, note of encouragement in a game that doesn't have a whole lot of encouragement throughout it. Uh, like, carry on do your best. And then the, the famous quote from the game, do it for the working class. Uh, it's just, a, it's maybe the, mo- it's not the most powerful. It's not the thing that I'm going to remember the most, but it, it's a very, very strange, but somehow fitting way to kind of basically finish the game.
1: Yeah. And, and the game is at its end. We, we learn by proxy that the, the pheromones that the phasmid was emitting was actually keeping the deserter alive and now that the phasmid has scurried um, which by the way you can find like Clash's original passport, mm-hmm. the last piece of the armor if you're caring about that yep. um, after the phasmid scurries away the deserter's health basically just plummets and he is essentially comatose yeah. like he's he's done.
0: Instantly Yeah. as soon as the phasmid goes away it's like okay everything that had been propping this guy up is gone now so, yeah. it It's a very... How do you feel about this, like, kind of supernatural turn that this took? Because it's real. Like we said, Kim can see this too. This thing is real. It was just disguising itself from the deserter, which is why he couldn't see it. So it's kind of a supernatural turn right at the end in a way that doesn't matter, really, for how the game world works, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, I... I don't know that I'd call it a turn because like the pale and phasmid aspect of the game have been a very slow burn mm-hmm. and it, it's something we didn't like get super in depth with the pale but it, it plays into a lot of why the world is as it is. I, I wouldn't if it were absent the phasmid um, encounter I wouldn't feel differently about the ending. I would still think it's good. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm happy that it's there because I think its message is is just and good but i If it weren't there, fine, it'd be the same. You'd just you know have to detain the deserter, I guess,
0: yeah, and i I'm imagining a scenario where you get the same message delivered by a person, like maybe you go back and the rest of your team gives you this encouraging message, or Kim gives it to you or something like that or or kuno <laughs> gives it to you. I'm I I don't I just I think the way that the the phasmid is so separated from humanity like an outsider looking in telling you these things makes it a bit more special than it would be if Kim was the one giving you this speech so I like it Um, and you know if you pay attention to things uh, as the game progresses you should notice hey like I'm doing a lot of quests about this phasmid there's got to be a payoff here right Uh, so it does make sense that this is actually where uh, one of the emotional climaxes is, I think. And I like it a lot.
1: So you've asked me a couple of questions as we've been going through here. So now I have one for you. So we're wrapping up here. You go back to the mainland and this is where you kind of reconvene with your partner Mm -hmm. um, um, as well as Judith, as well as, um, Oh, the one guy that studies, uh, effects on the brain I can't remember pale effects on the brain I can't remember his name mm-hmm. but basically you're, you're reconvening with everybody and I was listening today to um, my far and away one of my favorite um, uh, reviewers Noah Caldwell Gervais. yeah and he mentioned reading an article on vice where somebody gave the critique at the end of the game that they felt that the game's message sort of shrank or um, flinched insofar as you know, the political ideologies of rebuilding communism give way to making a better police force kind of maybe Mm -hmm. and things like that. Um, So I was curious to see how you felt about the ending and if you felt like it was, um, if it accomplished what it set out to do, if it answered the question that it asked as a whole, or if you feel the same way as the vice article um, that it was, that it didn't that it didn't fully answer the question or that it kind of flinched or you know was otherwise unsatisfying
0: um i disagree with the idea that this game is about rebuilding communism like flat out oh
1: no 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 like, I, or like that i'm sorry that, I, that
0: was like a central theme of the game um
1: i i didn't ask the question in an effective way that was my fault um it, it, but the political ideologies are there. They're scathing, yeah. and they kind of uh, shrink and flinch into the police force. Will maybe be better. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You're going. So, do you do you think it was an effective ending?
0: Yeah, like so. Like what I was getting at is that like the political ideologies are there and they're commented on. But at the end of the day, this is not a game about political ideologies. I think this is a very personal game that for a lot of people is a game about redemption for your character and kind of turning your life around or at least getting over, not getting over, uh, living with the trauma that has caused this spiral. So, like, I like that the political ideologies are there throughout the game, but at the end of the day, the political ideologies play into what the characters are doing and stuff like that, but I don't think this is a game about political ideologies. And so in that conversation at the end, the conversation is all about Harry and how the case progressed. And that's what this is. And I don't really also... I also don't really think this is, like, trying to say we're going to build a better police force. I think it's just like saying Harry is going to be better and Kim is going to come join. And so, like, yeah, police force will be better because Kim's there. But, like, at the end of the game, you get this kind of thing it's like you accomplished your task you maybe you redeemed harry a little bit and you set harry on this new path of kind of recovery and living a more a more normal life the case is over and his life moves on and in the grand scheme of things harry's not going to rebuild communism by himself and Harry's not even going to make an appreciable change in what's going on in Revishal where the game is set. He's just a police officer solving this case, and like i I think that what the game is actually going for is this very personal story of Harry, not being a game that's like the point of this game is to make political commentary. I think that's thrown in as flavor, not. The main thing so i do like the ending because i thought that the game is about harry and his redemption in my game at least it's about bringing harry back into society and being a functioning member and i think that the ending is really good because you have this breakdown of how everything went and kim is defending you when your officers uh, come at you and yeah it, it's a very good uh little you know, wrap up by this point the the climaxes; those are done. This is just a kind of clean up. We need a way to finish the story on a you know a satisfying ending here. So, yeah, that's my that's my thing.
1: <laughs> no, I'm I'm right there with you. I think it's a, a more of a personal story. I I would argue that the political commentary is more than flavor, but even still, I think perspective is the key, and the game has not been shy or um uh elusive about that at all i in in terms of personal stuff i mean that's self-explanatory from what we've talked about today mm-hmm. the the entire dream sequence does a great job of explaining that but even the the political aspect is the the perspective that they have is that it's more complicated and nuanced to say that like now that i have that university degree in truth of 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 political know-how and better than Eunice, I can now change things for the better because that's just not how scale works. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it, it's more nuanced and complicated than that. I, again, I don't see any other way this could have ended. I really don't.
0: Yeah, it, it's a, it's a very satisfying and natural way for this to end because your partners from the police force have been in the city since like day two or day three. They've been there the whole time. You don't remember who they are because Harry doesn't remember anything and they are staying back because in Harry's bender, he basically told them all to fuck off and to leave him alone. And so it's only at the end that they reveal themselves and that you're like able to have this conversation. And yeah, so, I mean, I like the ending, but to me, this isn't really the ending. This is just the conclusion. This is wrapping it up in a nice way.
1: Yeah, conclusion rather than ending. I think that's I think that's a terrific way of looking at it.
0: Yeah. So that is the end of Disco Elysium, and you get, well, you should try to convince Kim to come join you on the force, because I, I like to imagine Harry and Kim having a, a good police partnership uh, for years to come. And you get in the car, and it drives away, and it plays this beautiful song, that I'm going to cut into the episode here so everyone can hear it one more time. And yeah, that is the end of Disco Elysium. I can only think of a few things that I really like uh, that I didn't mention. Um, I like the side plot with the church and with Egghead and the the party guys. There's not a whole lot like, you know, I left it out because it's not a super emotional thing. It's just very cool, except for that part where you dance with Kim that was a very good payoff um i like the idea of a a hole in the ceiling that is like you know a portal to nothingness or the pale basically uh that's a cool sci-fi idea that's causing all these anomalies and that was cool to figure out but i think we covered most of the uh the stuff that i really wanted to talk about here and we've We've left out so much. There's so much good stuff in this game. We left out the guy who's so rich that light reflects off of him or refracts off of him.
1: Absolutely blew my mind the first time (laughs) I saw that guy.
0: It's such a hilarious concept. Like, this guy is so fucking rich that even light can't touch him.
1: I think you can talk him into giving you a $1,000 if you pass a few checks. Yeah,
0: that's that's one of my favorite things uh, throughout the game. Where you you need money, and so like other games would never allow you to do this, but your your character is such a, you know, a blank slate, almost childlike. Where he's like, hey, hey, you, you look like you have nice clothes. Can I have some money? And you can ask this to like everyone in the game. Just hey, can I have some money?
1: Yeah, it's a it's a a donation to the police force. Yeah, wink, wink, nudge, <laughs> nudge.
0: And I never got the sense that like Harry doesn't feel like those are bribes. Harry, Harry is childlike in like, Hey, you have this thing that I don't have. Can I have some of that thing? You know? So yeah. Anything else you wanted to briefly mention before we uh, say goodbye?
1: I don't know, man. I think we, I think we covered a lot of really good stuff here. This was an absolute joy to be a part of. Um, thank you yeah thank you this was such a productive and and enriching conversation
0: thanks buddy yeah it was a good time and uh i this is going to be by far the longest episode of tales from the backlog to date but i can't think of a better game uh to do it with than disco elysium so thanks for doing it with me
1: yeah i hope we didn't i hope we didn't go too long Eh.
0: it's a podcast (laughs) if people don't want to listen to three hours and 50 minutes or however long this is They don't have to they have the power so anyway uh, we're going to call it quits then and uh, one more time for anyone listening if you've made it this far if you've listened through the spoiler section uh, i hope that we did this game justice because this game fucking rules it's one of the best games ever made and like we said earlier basically required uh, gaming for anyone who values storytelling and writing and character work in games um, and is not averse to reading Uh, which, again, give us gamers some credit. We can enjoy a game with lots of reading. So, thanks for listening. One more time, uh, to support Tales from the Backlog, please give a rating and review and tell people about it. Talk with me on social media. Those links are in the episode description. I will also put links to Pixel Project Radio, which is definitely worth your time as well. Please, please, please check out Pixel Project Radio. Fantastic. So, Rick, thanks for joining again, and we will see you next time.